Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Neal, out to left, gone! Opening day, Bob off the bat of Tyler O'Neal, 4-0. Edmund hits it down the left field line, it is looking, and it's a fair ball. Tommy Edmund takes it deep, and it's an opening day homer. Arenado. Opening day. He does it again in 2022. And the Cardinals are pouring it on here at Bush. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are live at the Centene Community Ice Center. Chia, chia, chia. It's the I'm Cardinals excited. with a wonderful victory on opening day. That was really never in doubt. Not a single moment, and that's how most of the game should be against the Pirates this season, especially when Cabrian Hayes leaves the game, what, in the first, the first second inning? The first or the second the second batter he left. It's not what you want if you're the not Pittsburgh great. Pirates. The day that you hand him, uh, I believe it was a $70 million contract. Apparently too. it was Ooh. only uh, a little bit of cramping in his wrist, so fingers crossed that is true. Been there. But, Alex, the Cardinals looked excellent yesterday. You look at the top of the lineup. Dylan Carlson, two for three with an RBI. Paul Goldschmidt, one for one. He had four walks it's in incredible. the day. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, another good day for him. Two for three with five RBI. Also took a walk. Nolan Arenado got the one big uh Big fly for himself on uh, in the eighth inning. Once again, second straight year, opening day, going deep in the eighth. Just an all-around good day from start to finish, and you put up a nine spot on the Pirates. After the game, Ali Marmol was asked about the offense and whether or not this demonstrated what they're capable of. That was a perfect demonstration of what they're capable of doing. Um, you take Goldie, for example, and that's just collectively as a club, we want to get to the point where we're super stubborn about not leaving the, the zone which he did really well, and then when they come in the zone, scaring them back out of it, and that was a perfect example of that. I loved everything about it. Goldie's walks, Nolan Arenado getting that bomb, and then, of course, Tyler O'Neill. For me, I, I, I didn't – I don't want to say I didn't believe it, but I was hesitant with it because we were told the offense was going to be great last year, and then there were some circumstances where we're like, ah, okay, maybe. But this year it just felt different. And we had Katie Wu on with us yesterday over at Ballpark Village. We have Michael Gershon with us. And both said they were really anticipating 
what the offense looked like. And Katie even mentioned that she asked John Mozeliak and Ali Marmol what they were most excited about for this upcoming season, and they said the offense because it's going to be under the radar for a lot of people. And then you come up and you do this with it. Paul Goldschmidt getting on base every single opportunity. Tyler O'Neill steps into the batter's box, and the first one, he just takes it deep for you. So this is what... I was going to be, this was what was going to make or break a season for me in terms of chasing that NL Central title and potentially competing for a World Series was how your offense really stepped up to the plate. And they showed, the big the big dog showed up for this team, and I think that was the most important thing in that game yesterday. Here's Tyler O'Neill after the game talking about what you're referencing there with that depth in their lineup. We have a lot of depth, like one through nine. Every everyone's dangerous. Um, you know, we saw Tommy hit a hit a bomb today in the nine hole. Um, you know, there's there's nowhere to go uh, in this lineup. So we're just going to continue to do our thing, trust ourselves, and uh, take care of business. I don't envy anybody trying to navigate this lineup. Now that doesn't mean every day you're going to get them going out and putting up nine runs against the best of the best pitching. That's not how this works. We all know that. We understand that. But when they are at their best, as they were at times yesterday, Alex, this is an offense that can be unbelievably imposing. I mean, yesterday, I think we were talking, I think it was Katie Wu who said this. You're talking with Ollie Marmol, and they asked why Dylan Carlson was going to be the leadoff hitter. And he said, you know, I like being in there and you lead off the game with one pitch and you're up one nothing. That's something you could actually have this year. Dylan Carlson has the potential to be a 21 home run hitter. So does Goldie. So does O'Neill. So does Arenado. Maybe. So does Albert Pujols. DeYoung definitely has that. Bader was pretty darn close to that last year despite playing in just 100 games. Tommy Edmond, I don't think, can get you to 20 home runs, but he could get you to 10 to 15. That's seven or eight guys in your lineup. Alex, it reminds me a lot of what we were talking about before the season with the Blues. Now, you need players to take that next step. You need Dylan Carlson to take a step from where he was a year ago, much like what you saw this year from Jordan Cairo, where we've seen it. We've seen him be good. This year, they needed him to be great. You you look at a guy like, for example, maybe a Tommy Edmond or a Harrison Bader. Maybe one of those guys could be offensively this year what Barbashev was for the Blues so far this season. That's what you're going to need. You need young guys to take that next step from where they were a year ago to a little better this season at the plate. But if they do that, and you continue to get the career norms out of your typical guys in the middle of the order with Goldie, Arenado, and O'Neal, for example. Man, this could be a really, really good offense. They just have to go out there and prove it. This is why I feel like that the NL Central's up for grabs now. And watching that Milwaukee Brewers game yesterday, I just don't know if you're going to see the same three the repeat from the three-headed monster with the Milwaukee Brewers starting rotation. But with what this Cardinals offense has the potential truly to achieve this season. I mean, I said it yesterday with you and T-Bone. There's the potential for another MV3 here conversation. And you'll never get to the Albert Pujols threshold that he held during that MV3 era. But with what Tyler O'Neill could accomplish, with what Paul Goldschmidt could accomplish, and then, of course, Nolan Arenado, I mean, you have three legit options that could be MVP candidates. And to have that middle of the order... You're right. This does feel like what the Blues have this season to where you just never feel like you can breathe. The one thing that I would say probably needs to improve, which, look, it's the first game. There was a lot of nostalgia that went into it. I mean, Albert Pujols had tears in his eyes in his first at-bat. But 
you got to get five, six, seven going. If you have five, six, seven going a little bit more lethal than what it was yesterday, then there absolutely is no opportunity to breathe because I love what Tommy Edmond and Harrison Bader had to offer. It's just different elements. With with Bader and Edmond, you got guys that have the speed element. You have Carlson who has the potential just to get on base nonstop. I mean, look, he gets a double and then he scores a run two hitters later. Then you have the power in the middle. So five, six, seven. You mentioned it before. That's your swing spot right now for this offense. All right, let's get to some of the Debbie Downers because oh, Alex, doing, oh, it was only that? one game. Oh, we're doing that. Six five seven eight zero oh, is your comfort service text line. Cardinals fans, it's okay to be excited after your team looked great on opening day. We can get back to being upset tomorrow when something bad happens. But opening day was about as perfect as it could possibly be. From the six one eight. Guys, I know your job is to give hot takes, but it's one game against the worst team in the league. Just saying. How was that a hot take? What did I say that was a hot take? From the 314. So what you're saying is that if everybody on the Cardinals has a career year and nobody gets hurt, they might be able to win a playoff series this year. From yeah, the 618. Right. BK, they put up a nine spot on a triple A team. You said yourself it doesn't count when you do something against the Pirates. That is also Slow true. your roll a little bit. From the 3-1-4, once the Cardinals face good pitching, we will eventually then see what the offense is really all about. And finally, from the 6-3-6, BK would be buying out every hitter in the Cardinals lineup today when it comes to their arbitration years if he were in John Mosellock's shoes. You guys back on, the, on board on the Tyler O'Neill extension yet? After what we saw yesterday, I understand it's one game. But it was just, I think sometimes it's good to be reminded what a guy is capable of. We haven't seen Tyler O'Neill play baseball in six months, man. It's been a while since we were able to watch the speed, the power, the defense, everything that he brings to the table. He's a legit five-tool player. And yesterday we watched basically all of those elements of his game on full display. Yeah, if Tyler O'Neill came to me today and I was John Mosellock and he said, hey, I want to sign a five-year extension today. I want to be in a Cardinals uniform for the length of my career. Let's start that off with a five-year deal. I'll say, I'll say, all right, what are you asking for money-wise? But if it was within reason, if you're talking about five years, maybe $80 million, five years, $75 million, yeah, I would do that today. And it's not because of what we saw yesterday. Of course, that helps. But it's because of what we've seen now for a full calendar year. Tyler O'Neill is potentially going to be a legitimate MVP candidate. And if I can get him on a discounted deal right now, yeah, I would absolutely do that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I was one that came into the season saying, I don't know if I'd give it to him yet. Let me see another year because I want to see him stay healthy and I want to see if it stays consistent. It took one game for me to be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm all in. Tyler O'Neill, sign him to it. It's just everything he possesses there. I mean, and it's not even the on-field stuff too. Like he just looks like a guy, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but he looks like a guy that could be the face of a franchise. I mean, he's he's sitting out there signing baseballs with people, and somebody, a little kid yells to him, you're my favorite player. Like, he's tipping his, tipping his hat to people in left field who caught his home run. Like, it just seems like he's the face of a franchise off the field. And then on field, like, there's no way, shape, or form people could have watched his at-bat, not just in that home run, but what was it? It was a nine-pitch at-bat later in the game that he worked all the way up to a walk. Like and he, uh, honestly, I thought the most impressive, or one of at least, the most impressive at-bats that he had all day was his first when he reached on an infield single. And like, that's a, what you're getting out of him. It was like a 108-mile-an-hour yeah. ball off the bat that resulted in the guy not being able to play it. Like, that's what you're getting. He's got the speed. He, you said it. He's the five-tool player for you. I, I just, 
I can't fathom the possibility of a fan out there who watched that and said, ah, there's only one game, he's going to be awful this season. Like, the guy looks like somebody who could be competing for an MVP. I mean, hell, he had over a 2,000 OPS after that game. Like, I understand. One game. Yes, I'm sounding like a homer, and I'm getting excited. But Tyler, That's okay, man. Today is the day for that. Tyler O'Neill has the makings of something that could be the face of a franchise, and I just don't know how much longer into a season you could say, well, we want to see it back-to-back before it gets too expensive for the Cardinals to pay. All right, so that's what the on-field product was like yesterday. Let's quickly get to some of the pregame ceremonies, the opening day nostalgia, because yesterday was for that as well. Man, that was awesome. It was so nice to just have a normal baseball game again, a normal opening day here in St. Louis. I know, Alex, I think I can speak for you. I'm sure I can speak for Tanner as well, who's out on vacation today. He's up in Chicago rooting on the Cubbies, I would imagine. Probably, and he gets vacation. Oh, surprise, surprise. It was so great to see so many of you out at Ballpark Village yesterday. And just to be able to converse, I know we we had a couple of conversation with um, some some families that brought out their little ones, and one little girl got to see Nolan Arenado for the first time yesterday on an opening day, and she got to see him hit a home run. Like yep. it's just, it's really cool. That's what that's what this is all about. That's what opening day is all about. I did want to get into the pregame festivities with you, Alex. Let's start with Yadi, Wayno, and Albert. You could tell those guys were clearly emotional. Wayno coming out of the dugout, it looked like he was about to get in his feels. Yachty looked, and this is speculation, I don't know this for sure, but he looked like he had been crying before the game. Albert, I think, actually had tears that he had to wipe out of his eyes. I mean, that was everything anybody could have asked for and then some. Yeah, I mean, and props to the Cardinals for the way they did it because I was expecting Yachty, I call him Wadi again, man. It's going to happen all the season. I expected those two to be in the bullpen warming up, and I just expected Albert to be on the car when they introduced him. But to put together a video narrated by John Hamm and then have the three of them introduced individually to go shake hands with the Red Jacket members, like that's the way you do it for those guys. And who knows if this is Wayno's last ride. It sure as hell felt like it was the last ride for Yachty and Albert, both stating that it was. But that's what Cardinals fans were going there for, to appreciate each and every one of them not appreciate them as a group and yes they are a group it's the last ride together but each individual had a different narrative in the Cardinals history in the last 20 years so I thought that was the perfect way to go about doing it so props to the Cardinals because that gave me I was watching it on television because I had to get home and that gave me the goosebumps it was awesome uh it was a really cool scene out at Bush Stadium to see those guys coming out of there uh, Mustangs, and then to to watch that narrated video by John Hamm as well. That was great. And then the other thing that I thought was really cool was the symbolism of Ozzie Smith being the last Hall of Famer to be introduced, him being the one that was throwing out the ceremonial first pitch to Willie McGee. Alex, this was the first real uh, full-capacity opening day since we lost Gibby and Brock. And those guys had kind of taken on the, they they had carried the torch after um, Red had passed away Stan. and after Stan had passed away, and I I think that the the guys that are now carrying that torch in some capacity are Willie and Ozzy. I, I think they are now stepping up as kind of the next in line, and you need that uh, here in St. Louis. Some of your alumni, so, somebody's got to be kind of the face of the alumni base, if you will. 
And I think Ozzy's kind of taking that on now. And I thought that was a really cool moment as well to see him throwing out the first pitch uh, to Willie McGee. You need that here in St. Louis, and I think Ozzy is is more than happy, first of all, and more than capable, second of all, to be able to be that guy for him. Yeah, and it was nice to have all of those Red Jacket members. I, I think the only ones that you were missing were Lee Smith, Tony LaRussa, and then, of course, the, uh, the gentleman who have passed away. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, that's a full-capacity Red Jacket club that you had there in front of home plate. And you're right, having Ozzie Smith do that with Willie McGee, and then in three years from now, you would imagine that you're going to have three new members in that committee with Albert Pujols, uh, Yadier Molina, and Adam Wainwright, on top of the guys who could be going into that in the next couple of seasons also. And coming up in about 40 minutes or so, we're going to be talking to Lee Smith, the Cardinals Hall of Famer, the Baseball Hall of Famer, former Cardinals reliever. We'll catch up with him coming up at 12 o'clock. Mike McKenna joining us for his weekly segment coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But next, Adam Wainwright, he reminded all of us yesterday what he's capable of. My goodness, was he excellent. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, he was in control of that outing. I agree with you. He had a little more in the tank first time out. Um, we wanted to make sure he got his work in. We felt comfortable going to the pen there later on. A month from now, he probably gets another inning. Okay, let's start with the obvious. The Pittsburgh Pirates are a triple-A lineup. If I said a couple of years ago that a no-hitter against that team doesn't count, I have to also say, after Adam Wainwright looked spectacular yesterday, yeah, it also did come against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the Centene Community Ice Center. We'll be joined coming up here in about 10 minutes or so by Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie. Adam Wainwright, though, with that caveat included, was outstanding. Six strikeouts, that's more than he allowed hits, which were five. All of those hits were single. He didn't allow a whole lot of hard contact. He didn't walk a single player. He never faced more than four batters in any of his six innings. He retired nine batters on three pitches or fewer in that game. Alex, his efficiency was top-notch, and that's what allowed him to get through six full innings and there to be a question of whether or not he was going to be coming out for the seventh, even though it was opening day coming off of a shortened spring training where we all know going in, yeah, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of depth out of your starters early in the season. The craziest thing that still continues to amaze me about this version of Adam Wainwright, though, Alex, he's out there and he did not throw a single pitch over 90 miles per hour yesterday. His fastest recording pitch on the day was 89.7 miles per hour. His slowest pitch on the day was 69 miles per hour on a curveball. He is unbelievable in the way that he is pinpoint accurate on everything that he is throwing nowadays. Now, he's always been a crafty pitcher, but he previously was able to get it up to 93, 94, 95 miles per hour when he needed it. He's not there anymore. He's sitting at 88, 89 miles per hour, and what you saw yesterday is why we had Adam Wainwright so high on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals because he's the guy that when you need a big start, you know he's going to give you six strong innings of efficient work, and that's what we saw yesterday against the Pirates. I know people still question it because he's, what, 42 years old now, 43 years old? Like I know people say, well, Adam Wainwright can't do what he did last season. No, he absolutely can, and we just saw the reason why from what per, what happened yesterday. And I get it. Again, still Pittsburgh. But I, I thought Danny Mack and Jim Edmonds said something really interesting on the broadcast. Like, he's always the type of pitcher that can catch a, a hitter off guard because if they're ex- – 
a lot of a lot of hitters don't expect the typical curveball at a certain point of an at-bat. Like, that's a pitch that you usually use for the strikeout. But Wayno's not afraid to throw that on the first strike if he has yeah, to. he pitches backwards. He just – he does everything to catch hitters off guard. And it all goes back to his his approach to changing his off-season training regimen to make sure that he's in a different mindset than what he was in the past. And that comes into the velocity play there. He's not worrying about throwing it past you. He's just worrying about getting it over the plate in the right position for you to either miss it when you swing or make contact. And look, defense was behind Adam Wainwright yesterday. You had some really solid plays by Harrison Bader in center field, by Nolan Arenado at third base, a couple of nice plays by Paul DeYoung at short, but more than anything, you also had Yadier Molina behind the plate who was able to pick Adam Wainwright's spot perfectly and then throw a couple out as well. So it doesn't surprise me, and I expect Adam Wainwright to have maybe not the same numbers as he had last year, but I do expect this guy to have above 15 wins because of this approach that he can go with. Yeah, he he was great, and we got this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, Ali Marmol sounds pretty comfortable and relaxed in his interviews. I felt that way last night after I was watching him as well. I'm really excited to see what he does this season. I feel that way too. I'm really excited to see what he ends up doing. I didn't feel like yesterday we learned anything about his management style. And Wayno is the one that allows you to do that. Adam Wainwright being on the mound allows a manager to be an old school style manager. Yeah. Because you go out there and you're like, okay, yeah. Yesterday, if Wayno was fully ramped up and you had a typical spring training, I think he goes back out there for the seventh. I'm not sure that it's the quote-unquote right decision by the numbers to send him back out there for the seventh, but given the lineup that you were going up against and the way that he was pitching, I wouldn't have questioned it in any way, shape, or form if they decided to he go that path. He only 83 pitches. Yeah, he, he was fine. Uh, when it came to his pitch count, it was more about, okay, how many batters has he faced? Where is right. he at in the lineup? All of those different and things. And it's cold as hell out here. It was the right decision to go to your pin there. But I didn't think we really learned a whole lot about how he's going to utilize his bullpen or any of those sorts of maneuvers he... Literally didn't use a uh, bench bat yesterday in the game. And you used Tennessee Cabrera, which I, I don't even understand, but I guess you just want to get him some, wanted to get him some work. Yeah, yeah he, he'd been struggling, and it's a 9 nothing game, so why not, right? Go ahead and throw him out there in a uh, non-competitive environment. YOLO. I am curious this weekend what it looks like with him as your manager. This is going to be our first real opportunity starting tomorrow and then going into Sunday to find out, okay, what does his bullpen usage look like in a, a real setting, a non-opening day scenario where you've got Wayno on the mound? What does he do with the DH spot? Is Pools going to start the next couple of days? I don't know. I thought he looked pretty good, honestly, with his at-bats. I understand that the numbers show you 0 for 5. He had a couple hard hit outs. He never looked totally out of place. Like He looked fine to me. Does Paul DeYoung keep starting if he has a struggle tomorrow in the game? What, is, what does he do with Yachty? Is Yachty going to get a day off on Sunday after going from a night to a day game? I, those are the kinds of things that I'm curious about as we get into this weekend. We didn't really learn anything about that yet, but Saturday and Sunday are going to be our first opportunities to do so. Yeah, and I am really curious because we saw a couple of different guys that were getting warmed up in the bullpen, that like Palante was getting warmed up, and I was curious to see uh, his approach and, and where he'd be used. But, yeah, I think you're going to get a really good idea with this bullpen, but also you're going to get a good idea of the rotation as well because you're going to see Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz in these next two games, 
And do those guys get the Adam Wainwright treatment to where if they're pitching well and the pitch count's low and they look good, do you just let them go out there and flow with it? Or do you have a little bit more restrictions with those guys over an Adam Wainwright who's 40 years old and can go out there and do what he'd prefer? But I am interested with this because I don't know if we're going to get to see a scenario to where you have to go to your best bullpen pitcher in the seventh inning because I just don't see Pittsburgh being that competitive to they could force that. Yeah. But – you're going to get a little bit more of an identity of how these guys are used. Like, I loved seeing Ryan Helsley in the ninth inning there. Dude, he looked awesome yesterday. I know he's. it was 9 I'm not nothing. falling for it. Give no, me, no, no. like, five of those right. I'm in. Yeah. But yesterday he looked so good. There will be no circle of trust committee today because <laughs> T-Bone's gone, but that also means that five people might go in on Monday when Also, Whitgren looked like T.J. McFarlane. Whitgren took, <laughs> what was it, seven pitches to get out of the inning? Again, Five strikes. He looked like right-handed T.J. McFarlane. Again. Pittsburgh's not going to give the competition that other teams will to force you to use that way, but you're going to get a good idea of how these guys can pitch, like Hennessy Cabrera. Right now, it was a cold environment. They didn't want him to go out there and start throwing the ball all over the place, but Ryan Helsley looked more like a guy that I'd use in the eighth or ninth inning than Hennessy Cabrera was. So it's going to be building that over these next couple of games. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 573. Guys, the Blues play tonight. They also won Thursday night, too, if you didn't see it. I don't think they played last night. So I think you're no, thinking. No, they didn't of, because I was off. I think you're thinking of a couple of days ago. They did win that game, and we're going to talk that over with Mike McKenna going into a huge game for the Blues tonight. This is a playoff preview Blues versus Wild. What are we expecting? What can we learn from this game tonight? tonight that will tell us how the Blues match up against the Wild potentially in the playoffs. We'll ask Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie, when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is going to be a fun one tonight, Alex. Blues versus the Wild pregame coverage with Randy Carricker. Alex is skipping out on the pregame coverage for one of the biggest games of the year. Who could have seen that one coming? Technically, the biggest games of the year will be in the postseason. That's coming up tonight at 6 o'clock right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Puck drop with Curbs and Joey beginning at 7. But we want to talk this one over with our friend, our weekly guest, the former NHL goalie, now analyst for the Daily Faceoff. He is Mike McKenna joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Are you excited for tonight's game? between the Blues and the Wild? I really am. I mean, Minnesota's been so good lately and the Blues as well. And when you think of what's on the line, listen, I mean, it, it may be second place, but there's still bragging rights. And there's there's your own, you know, self-confidence that's associated with it. You want to be able to slide into that spot. So I think it's going to be good. you got two teams that, especially Minnesota, they bucked up, they, you know, bulked up at the deadline. They're heavy. And St. Louis can play that game when they want to. So I think it'll be plenty exciting. Speaking of that heaviness, Mike, that's the one thing that I'm really curious coming out of this one because I think a lot of people's, um, for lack of a better word, excuse about this Blues team on why they can't win a Stanley Cup is because, well, they're not as physical as some of these other teams or they don't play as tough as the Minnesota Wild who have the Nicholas Delorier and the Jacob Middletons. For me, I think that's what I'm going to learn from this one tonight is can the Blues play with these teams and can they show some of the national analysts that you don't need to have the nastiness to win big games? Well, nastiness is the key word you used. You don't have to be out on the ice trying to create fights every three seconds to win a hockey game, but you do have to play direct and heavy, especially against Minnesota, or they'll run you out of the building. I mean, they have three, three-and-a-half lines 
that just roll fast and they're all hard to play against. And that's not to take away from the ultimate skill that they have on their top line, but from lines two through four, there's a lot of grit there. And and the Blues are a different team they, than they when they won the Stanley Cup. They are by far and away more skilled. They're faster. Um, but they have always been kind of in that gray area, I think, for the last two years of where's the identity of this club? Are we going to be able to play as heavy? And that's where you really look to your lineup. Look to Barbashev to be out making as many hits as possible to be in the other team's face, Shen and O'Reilly and, and even Perrot, you know, like, you don't have to have big hits, but you have to play hard on the puck. You have to win wall battles. You can play heavy without chucking your mitts out there. Like it, it's not a necessary thing. And if you can take advantage of Dory when he's on the ice, go around him and go score a couple goals, you got an opportunity to win a game against a good team. We're talking to Mike McKenna here on 101 ESPN. Mike, I did want to ask you about Ville Husso, who's expected to get the start again tonight. I'm guessing they'll probably go to Bennington tomorrow for the back-to-back. Ville Husso is getting a heavy workload right now. Do you think this is going to help him prepare for what it's going to be like in the postseason with it going basically every other day right now? I, I think it helps. I think for him, you know, he's just now starting to really carry the mail at the NHL level, but he's done that previously at least in the American Hockey League. So it gives them a frame of reference. But that's a natural growth and progression to a goaltender in the NHL. You've got to make a name for yourself. You've got to feel comfortable. And who so checked those boxes early this season? Now it's a matter of being able to do it night in, night out, be consistent with it. Um, you know, I, I would expect, like you said, in a back-to-back scenario, Bennington to play. But at this point, with, you know, 10 dozen games left for most teams in the NHL, you're looking to have one goaltender down the stretch, and it's not all that different even from the Minnesota Wild. I mean, look at their situation. You've got Cam Talbot, who's red hot. He hasn't lost in regulation in 10 games. And then you've got Marc-Andre Fleury, who's 3-1 and one since coming over to the Wild. And GM Bill Guerin of the Wild didn't trade for Marc-Andre Fleury to sit on the bench in playoffs, but they've got two goalies that are going head-to-head here, and they don't know who the starter's going to be when it gets to playoffs. I would have to guess Fleury, but you have to be able to come in with a little bit of energy and a little bit of momentum. And right now that's what it is for Huso. You know, he's trying to string these games together um, and just, again, learn to have the confidence and learn to have the ability to come in every night and be on top of your game. It takes a bit of experience to do that, and he's getting it now. I'm glad you used the word confidence there, Mike, because this Blues team 5-0-1 in their last six games, and you want to be playing this way down the stretch. How dangerous can a Blues team like this be if, if they continue this, this not, not in terms of winning games, but just playing this confidence level that knows that they're never out of a game? Yeah, I think really – the important factor for me is that the Blues have to dig in. They have to dig into their memory bank of the, t- of the games they've played against the good teams. Okay. Now, th- this span of winning, it's great. But who's it come against? A couple of Vancouver, Arizona, Seattle. Those aren't good clubs. But you have to flip to the game against, against Calgary. You beat them 6-4. That's, that's a big moment for a team that you can draw upon, and especially going against Minnesota, a team that you will likely face in playoffs. You win this game tonight, if you can roll that into tomorrow's game against the Islanders and hopefully do the same, to me that's a lot different feeling in the locker room than it is knocking off Arizona and Seattle back-to-back. Those are gimmies. Even the Islanders, that's a team that's playing well lately, and there's going to be good games down the stretch for the Blues to be able to gauge themselves. You want to play the best teams in the stretch run because you have to match up against them. That's who you're going to be playing in playoffs and you got to be ready for that grind. You're not going to get any gimmies once the once the postseason starts. 
Mike, I did want to ask you about Colton Pareko, who I believe it's since the All-Star break, leads the entire NHL in plus-minus, and he just looks like a different player. He looks like he's finally healthy, honestly, uh, over the last 25 games or so. What have you seen from him that is different, and what does it mean for this Blues team as we get down the stretch here and then ultimately into the postseason if Colton Pareko is back to the guy that he was, not even really at any point last year as he was dealing with his back injury, but the year before when we all kind of thought, hey, this guy has the potential to be a legitimate number one defenseman. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still not sure that Colton Pareko is you know, ever going to be that standout Chris Pronger number one defenseman. But I think, man, if he isn't a two or three in this league, I'd be very surprised. And that's really what he is to me. I I don't see his offensive game taking any greater strides than where it's already at, you know, by 28, 29 years old, you you know what you're getting. I mean, I'd I'd always like to see Colton Pareko shoot the puck more. I know everybody listening here would love to see that as well, because he's got an absolute missile, but what you keyed in on them about on Pareko about being healthy to me is really the important factor because skating is such a big part of his game and power. And if you're not feeling the best, you don't have that. You can't do that. And what I've seen lately is that his gaps have been way better and he's been able to trigger on pucks quicker, close those gaps down and get the puck going the other direction. And that's really what matters most in today's game is puck pressure. And, you know, Pareko is a physical force, but if you're not feeling it, if you're not hundred percent confident, like it's hard to play with that. And I also think, you know, the time that he spent with Nick Letty has helped too, right? I mean, like he's he's mixed and matched with his defensive partners for so much of the year being with Nikola, but um, Letty's been a good fit too. And and I think across the board with the defensive of the Blues, it turned out to be a good trade, at least this far. And, you know, not going to pat myself on the back too hard here, but I kind of <laughs> called that one, guys. So I didn't bamboozle anybody out there. I'm feeling pretty good about it. You should feel good about that one. So, Michael, when Tory Krug comes back, and he was skating today, he's not playing in this one tonight. When Tory Krug comes back, who do you feel like the, the best pairings are for the defense? Is it Krug and Falk and Letty and Pareko, or would you try Krug with Pareko and leave Letty and Falk together? You know, it's hard to say. I, I really, really like Krug and Falk, and they had such success at the beginning of this, for, you know, the first half of the season together. I would still go back to having them as a pairing. Um, and I would like to keep – I'd like to have Letty with Pareko, ideally. I think, to me, that really is, is a good fit. Um, and then you can mix in from there. You know, I, I think uh, Mikula, I've, I've loved his game this year, but where are we at now, right? He's, if you're not in the lineup, what are we doing? So um, I, I want to give some credit out there to Cal Rosen, though. Like, I, this is a super quick aside, but for a guy who hasn't spent a lot of time in the National Hockey League – I think he's done a nice job and man, he can skate. So um, I like Letty and Falk, but I like, I like Letty with anybody. Okay. I think you put him with Pareko and it's even better. Put, put Krug with Falk. You can toss in Scandella with whoever you care to in the backside, whether it's Bortuzzo with him. Um, but I'd like to see Krug and Falk back together. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie and NHL analyst now for the Daily Faceoff. Find his work work over there, and you can follow him on Twitter at MikeMcKenna56. Mike, we, we enjoy this each and every week whenever we're, we're able to catch up with you, man. Enjoy this game tonight. Enjoy the weekend of hockey. Blues versus Minnesota, and then the Islanders coming to town as well. It should be a fun one. Yeah, it should, and I mean, it feels like it. It was snowing like crazy when I was headed oh. to Kirkwood this morning to play, so it still feels like winter, man. We're, we're clinging on here in St. Louis, but as always, thanks for having me, and looking forward to this night. Hope everybody enjoys the game. 
Thanks, Absolutely. Mike. Same to you. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. Mike sounded excited to see the snow today. I can assure you I was not in any way, shape, or form excited as I was pulling up to Centene Community Ice Center and the, the flurry started to drop outside. Yeah, Alex. neither was the St. Louis drivers that were driving like it was eight feet of was snow. Was it bad? Oh, my God. It's like, what are we, there are people driving 20 miles an hour. It's like, let's be honest, people. It was 70 degrees a couple of days ago. It's not that bad out. So we do have a little bit of news from Blues practice. Oh, yeah? We want to pass this along first before we get to ask us anything on the other side. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Luke Korak passes this along. Uh, it looks like Krug and Bozak were both at morning skate today. Now, they will not be playing tonight. Craig Berube says there is no timetable yet on when those two will return. They need to get into practices and battle drills first, get some contact, and then they'll be able to assess where they're at. So at least some progress being made on the part of both Tyler Bozak and Tori Krug, which is encouraging. Uh, the discouraging thing, though, is that according to Jeremy Rutherford, it looks like the Blues are going to potentially be without Jordan Cairo once again. He had been battling an illness. He was out three games with that. According to Craig Berube, quote, this is a little bit of a different illness. He probably has what Logan Brown had previously. He was out a little bit with an illness, so probably something similar to what Brown dealt with as well. That stinks, man. Um, Especially this, after he scored a goal. He, he looked like he was getting back into the groove of things towards the end of that last game. And now to be going back out once again, it just sucks. It sucks because he, he, you really need him to get back on track for the Blues to reach their ceiling. Yeah, I'd rather have that happen now, though, than the last week of the season where he's dealing with this illness. Hopefully he can flush this out of his system and be ready to go because you need him for when postseason play happens. And hopefully that's a building block for him of what he just did the other night in game action. It stings not to have him in this one against the Minnesota Wild tonight if he's not playing. But the one good thing about this is when when big names are out of the lineup, the Blues seem to play a lot simpler brand of hockey. So if he's not there, that means you get a little bit more ice time for Alexei Toropchenko, which wouldn't be a bad thing against this Minnesota team because Toropchenko is a big body and he'll go out there and stir some ish up if he has to. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk with Lee Smith, the Baseball Hall of Famer, former Cardinals reliever. Excited to catch up with him. Lee always has some outstanding stories. Want to hear what his favorite story is from opening day. We'll do that coming up at 12 o'clock. Next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything here on 101 ESPN. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start out with this one, Alex. Somebody from the 636 says, My wife and I are having our first child. He's due in about two weeks or so. Any last things you would recommend that I need to do before I become busy for the next 18 years? Well, you are going to become busy for the next 18 years, but it's going to be in a good way. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, you know, by this time, I feel like you pretty much have everything laid out. My wife was incredible, man. She had a checklist of things that we made sure that we needed and set up. The only thing I would say just make sure you're ready for is make sure you have everything at the house. So medicine, creams, diapers, things like that, because you don't want to have to leave in the middle of the night 
if something's wrong. Like Adelaide, this this probably was the fourth or fifth month uh, for her. She woke up in the middle of the night and was just bawling her eyes out. We had no idea what it was. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the diaper. And so we were like, we'll probably need to give her some medicine because the teeth are probably coming in. And we didn't have any baby Tylenol. And so this was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to Walmart. So I would say the last thing to make sure you're ready to go with is there's just make sure you got everything that you would need for that first-time problem. I have nothing for Any you. Any advice, BK? I have nothing for you. Enjoy yourself, man. The next uh, the next week or so is, yeah. is going to be the last. Do take uh, it all in, too. Oh, take some naps. Take some naps. Because, yes, because you'll never take one again. Yeah, a week from now, you're done. You're, yep. you're never taking another I nap. Taken so that's what I, would I haven't taken a nap since March of 2021. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything from the 618. Still think Alex completely revolutionized the show with a completely different segment on Fridays. I totally agree with you. From the 314, when either of you guys cook at home, what is your go-to de- uh, meal to make? You're the... You're, you're Martha Stewart over so, here. So I will say, Alex, we uh, we finished out. One of the great things about getting married is you can put together your wedding registry. And whenever your wedding is over, I know we did uh, Target and Amazon were the two spots that we did for our registry. They give you different discounts on whatever was on there that was not purchased by somebody else, right? What? Yeah, did That's you guys not get that? Mm? No. I think it was 20% off on Amazon, and I think it was 10%. It might have been a little bit more on uh, on Target as well. So we went through, and whatever we ended up not getting that we really wanted, we we went and purchased it. One of the things that we wanted from uh, Target was a new set, a new thing of knives, right? I used it for the first time yesterday. Oh, my God. Getting a new set of knives is a total game changer, man. Complete game changer. It it completely changes the outlook on cooking. It takes so much less time now to prep stuff. But anyways, neither here nor there. My go-tos, I, I really like making turkey burgers. Uh, that's just a meal that I like having for lunches throughout the week. Um, anything sweet potatoes, whether it's fries or um, cooking them up in different ways, I like doing that. Uh, I'm a pan-seared chicken guy. During the summer, I like to grill outside. So those are kind of the biggest things that I do most frequently but i love cooking man it's one of the things that i really enjoy doing mine's pulled pork i like it. anything with a smoker i'm all in for i'm gonna figure out how to make smoked brisket this year i've never tried it before and i've heard it is very difficult but i'm gonna try it this year i don't mess with that stuff I leave that to the experts. I will go to salt and smoke. I will go to heavy smoke out in St. Charles. I will go to sugar fire. I will allow them. Beast barbecue is a good one as well out here. Um, I will go to any of those spots, and I will allow them to make my my brisket for me. I feel like I crushed the pulled pork this last summer. And so now I want to take it to the next level. It's just so tough, man, because you got to make sure you get the smoke rings right. You got to have it at the exact right temperature. You got to have it at the exact right amount of time. You got to have the right season. It, it's too much for me, man. I'm not. I'm not that much of a pro. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything uh, from the three one four. Hey guys, in hockey, sometimes uh, I know that guys have an issue. With being at, uh, nope, not answered. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> not going there, actually. From the 314, BK and Ferrario, I know it's going to be a busy weekend for St. Louis sports, but if Tiger stays close and makes the cut, how much of your attention will be on the Masters on Sunday? I can promise you my attention is going to be on the Masters if Tiger is in it. It'll be on it no matter what, but if Tiger is, is fighting for first, I can promise you it's going to be the center of attention for me. 
I'm going golfing with a couple of buddies Sunday too. So, you know, I'm going to put my best Tiger Woods effort on the golf course, but my phone is going to be on that Masters if Tiger Woods is in the top uh, top fighting for that spot. Yeah, I, I will definitely be checking in on Sunday. No doubt about that. Uh, when Tiger is in contention, that is when I am paying the most attention to golf. All right, final one from the 314. BK, I know you're a numbers guy. Is there any stat to be able to put weight on the home runs and their importance in an individual game? Uh, Arenado's Jack yesterday, for example, was just gravy on his stats. Meanwhile, for example, Tyler O'Neill's seemed to have a little bit more importance in the overall game. Uh, there are actually, surprisingly enough, there oh, yeah? are there there are indeed statistics that you can look There's at for peak something like zips that. For this? No, 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 no. Uh, win probability added is what you're looking for. There are others as well, but that's the one that I, I typically go to. Like if you go over to Fangraphs and you go to their their game day score. Um, the win expectancy numbers, so like what the what the expected win probability is at any given time, it changes throughout the course of a game. And if you go over there, it will show you which plays specifically added the most win probability for the Cardinals. There so, are analytics for everything, ladies and that's gentlemen. Right. That's right. Uh, win probability added is one. Uh, Tyler O'Neill, I believe, had the play that added the most win probability yesterday. So that would be the one that you are looking for if you go over to... Fan graphs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson is not here today. Excuse me. Uh, Grant uh -huh. Francis is filling in for us back in the studio. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live out of the Centene Community Ice. Centene Community Ice Center. Just had center at the end of it. My apologies. It's I'm having a little bit of a. You did want to finish reading. It, it got you caught off guard. Lee Smith coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live from the ENB Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center, and we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the Baseball Hall of Famer, former Cardinals reliever Lee Smith is joining us here on the show. We always enjoy talking with Lee here on 101 ESPN. Lee, thanks as always for the time, man. How you doing today? I am doing great, man. How you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. So happy to be able to catch up with you again today as baseball season has officially arrived with opening day yesterday here in St. Louis. Lee, what was it like for you to be able to experience opening day, specifically here when you were in a Cardinals uniform? Well, you know, man, when you just think about opening day and then you're going to throw the St. Louis Cardinals in there, it was like home for me, man, because, you know, it was a little sort of laid back and and you get to see the Bush family, you know, and all the people with the horses. I'm a country boy anyway, so I was like at home, man. But, you know, you, you, you just think about as a kid, you know, the guys that you wanted to see, you know, like Stan and Shane Dean, Gibby and all those guys that I mimic myself as. And to be out there on the part of that, unbelievable. And to meet those guys. Lee, with that being said, you've experienced opening days as a Chicago Cub, as a Boston Red Sox. I mean, you've mm -hmm. experienced it with some other big teams. How do those compare to what the, the St. Louis Cardinals do at Bush Stadium? Well, you know, all of them had their little different, you know, uh, audience, you know, uh, going along. But it's just something about that red and white, man. <laughs> it was it was always awesome. But, man, I, I was, one of my club members out there uh, harassing Ozzie Smith 
you know, you guys like that during the opening day. But you know what? You just everywhere has their own different things that that goes into it. But like I was laid back type personality. That St. Louis and the Cardinal thing was all like my same personality. We're talking to Lee Smith here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Lee, you were here when Ozzy was playing, and you got to see his uh, his famous opening day backflip while you were here. <laughs> well, what was that like for you to be able to see? I mean, you go through all the festivities before the game, and then Ozzy gives out his, his backflip before the game. What was that like for you? Well, you know what? My kids loved it, man, because they uh, they always loved seeing Ozzy do that. you know. And uh, my son wanted to be a shortstop. He didn't want to be a pitcher. Because of Ozzy and his slip, but I'm like, hey, you got to be able to hit too. <laughs> but, but you know what? It just, you know, the, uh, with with me, you know, when you see all the people like in the stores talking about opening day and can't wait to get there, and 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 then the be a part of it was really unbelievable. Be honest, Lee. Did you ever want to try those backflips after watching Ozzy <laughs> do it so many times? No. Definitely not, man. Hey, I I was having my problem getting two in front of the mound. I ain't doing any flips. (laughs) That's fantastic. Lee, I'm curious, you know, as a a pitcher coming out of the bullpen during opening day, uh, how much of that for you is able to take it all in throughout the the start of the game? Like, you know, you're not going through the routines at the beginning of the game like the starting pitchers or the position players. Mm -hmm. Do you get to, to soak it in a little bit more than some of the other guys? Oh, well, yeah, you go down and you talk to the fans. You know, I used to go down like the sixth, seventh inning and talk to the fans, and, and they would give you their own ideas and a few pitching tips. But you know what? Opening day was so, somewhat different. I always had to step back and like, hey, man, don't try to do too much. Just try to stay within yourself. Easier said than done when you get out there in that ninth inning, you know, and, and all the fans giving that standing ovation, which they did most of the time. But it was just trying to stay within yourself and not trying to do too much, especially with that occasion of the opening day when you see, you know, the, the Clydesdales and all those come out, you know, and things like that. You try to, you know, try to stay within yourself. But like I said, it was easier said than done. Baseball Hall of Famer, former Cardinals reliever Lee Smith joining us here on 101 ESPN. Lee, I want to take you back, if you if you don't mind. We're going back to April 19th of 1991. You're on the mound going into the – you're in the eighth inning, and then you're getting ready to close things out in the ninth. You're up 3-1 to one against the Philadelphia Phillies, and you're going for the save on opening day here in St. Louis. What was that moment like for you to get a save on opening day in a Cardinals uniform? Well, I was probably shaking because Mike Schmidt was probably on deck. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, man? When you go out there and, and like you say, you know, opening day and you you back, you have time to think about it in the dugout in between innings, which a lot of guys don't do that now because they're pitching one inning. But not, you know, not mocking anything from the eighth inning to the ninth inning. But it was just, it was just like I said earlier, you know, just try to stay within yourself and think about, hey, this is opening day. You want to make sure you have fun memories and have the fans have something good to talk about. But it's it's just like one of those give me goosebumps not thinking about it, man. Uh, Lee, I, I I I envy the Cardinals players today because they get opportunities to sit there and just talk shop with all of these Hall of Famers. Did you get the chance to do that when you were a player? Did you were you able to sit there and just talk shop with Bob Gibson and Stan Musial and just get tips on being a pro from those guys? Man, I was afraid of Bob Gibson. I talked to Red Shane, didn't you? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> me, hey, I, I actually, me, me too. Guys, I, you don't want to be talking to Gibby over today, man. He, he might, he, he 
may not be in a good mood at that time, man. But Red Shandink was one of my favorites, you know, that I would always – we sit around talking. You know, you just think about, you know, me being a pitcher and and, uh, and uh, Red being the infielder and the manager. I think that he went through opening day as a player and, and uh, as, a, as a coach. You know, so it, it was a lot of things that I talked to him about, man. And uh, you wouldn't want to speak with the manager, but I, the, the pitchers, I was mostly one of the older guys when I got to, to St. Louis. But, you know, Gibby would be around, but Lou Brock, we would talk to him, things like that. But most of the guys didn't – we didn't know how to approach Gibby, man. So we sort of kept to ourselves when he, he came down to Gibby. Lee, one of my favorite stories from, from my co-host Alex is uh, he, t- he told the story, I think about a year ago now, when he was first getting into this business, he was talking to some of the former Cardinals, and he, he went up to Lou Brock, and uh, during the interview, he asked Lou if he had a little bit of time, and Lou, Lou of course, said yes, because he was he's such, such a gracious man. And Alex, throughout the entire interview, uh, called him Bob. He, he thought he was talking to Bob Gibson. And Lou, at the very end, said, young man, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, but I just want you to know I, I'm Lou. Uh, I, I'm not Bob Gibson. And Alex was just petrified because, of course, he had called Lou Brock, a Hall of Famer, uh, Bob Gibson throughout the entire interview. All I could think about is, can you imagine if it was the opposite? If he did that to Bob Gibson instead of Lou Brock and called Bob Lou throughout the entire thing? He would definitely not have got, gotten a chance to finish that interview. That's for sure. <laughs> Lee, I said, I he would have dropped that, that name one time. He would have found out quickly. Lee, I have said that so many times. I was 20 years old at the time, and I just got into the business. If if that would have been flipped, Bob would have stopped me, and I don't uh, know if I would have been able to finish the interview because I would have been no. petrified. Oh, uh, you know what? If messing that up, you definitely had the right guy. You, <laughs> you had the right. You had the right guy. Hey, man, but you know what? Speaking of that, I when I was in in Chicago, I always got mistaken for the football team. Everybody wanted to throw me on the football team, man. I was like, thank God they had a good year, man, because it was, it was always about the football. They're like, big guy, they still be on the football field all the time. Well, you were in Chicago at a good time. They had a decent amount yeah. of success. I mean, it, it, anytime you think about the 85 Bears, if you were going to be mistaken uh, with anybody, that, that was a good team dude, to be mistaken for. Hey, dude, and I'm telling you, because the 84 team, because we had a good year, then the next year I was a Bear, so I had it made, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I'm guessing you didn't buy many drinks yes. when you were in Chicago, Lee. <laughs> no, no, man, it was it was awesome. Bro. I was like, man, I got it made. Everybody think I'm on the Bears. Like, yeah, we're champions, brother. <laughs> that's incredible we're talking with lee smith for just another minute or two here on 101 espn the baseball hall of famer former cardinals reliever as well hey lee how much baseball are you planning to watch this year are you able to catch up a little bit with the cardinals here and there oh yeah definitely man i'm uh matter of fact i've been harassing uh all the guys in front of us about get me back to st louis a little more i, I don't get back that much man and i got back uh, uh, uh last year they had the, the bobblehead thing for me and I loved it, but I don't get back to St. Louis enough. So you got to work on those guys, man, to get me in town some more. Well, we will. And, you know, this is potentially the last year for Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina mm-hmm. and Albert Pujols oh, yeah. signing back in a Cardinals uniform. Yeah. What, what do you think that's going to be like, Lee? You know what this fan base is like here in St. Louis. What, what is this going to be like to watch those three guys potentially go out on top? Hey, man, I, it was going to be great, man. I just want to go back. And, I never got my Albert Pujols autograph. I got to go and get my autograph, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to be collecting this year, man. But you know what the thing is? When you just think about, you know, the Cardinal family, you know, and they get 
Pujols back in there, man. That's that's probably one of the best things I think could have ever happened to the sport in that city. You know, to get him back there. But you threw Wainwright and and uh, Layla in there, man. It's going to be a great season. I hope they have a good season just to stay healthy. You get that's that. Albert, that's the main thing they need. You get that Albert Pujols signature, Lee, and I need to get my Lee Smith signature when you're in town. So I need to make sure I hook up with you when we see each other. Oh uh, yeah, get get on get on the uh, stand and the rest of the board and fight for them. Get them in uh, to get me into town. I love it. We're on it. We're on it. He's Lee Smith, <laughs> baseball Hall of Famer and former Cardinals reliever. Hey, Lee, thank you so much for the time today, man. It's always great to catch up with you. You've got the best stories around. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as you're coming out here to St. Louis. That sounds good to me, man. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Thanks, Absolutely. Lee. Same to you. That's Lee Smith joining Thank us you. here on 101 ESPN. Uh, there's just there, there's not a whole lot of people that I enjoy talking to more that puts a smile on your face quicker than Lee Smith. You know how people have a laugh that's infectious? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I feel like I have a laugh that is just annoying. Like, I try <laughs> not to laugh that often because I sound like a dying duck. Lee Smith has one of those laughs that you could be in a room, a serious conversation, and he chuckles, and you want to start laughing. And I you also know exactly who it is the moment that yep. you hear it. Like, it is just so so easily identifiable. Uh, so huge thanks to Lee for joining us today. Love that, and man. we've got to find a way. We'll, we'll have to uh, pull some strings, maybe yeah. talk to Dan, have him talk to all the people that well, he Michael knows. Well, Michael Gersh is a friend of the show now. He's a friend of BK and Ferrario. So Is he? Yeah. I, Look, anytime you come out on – our show live, you're a friend of the show. Okay, I'll take it. Hey, I'm here for it. No, no issue with that whatsoever. Lee Smith, friend of the show. Big big thanks to Lee Smith for joining us today. I I, I hope they get him out here more often because, God, is he just an, so a, an unbelievable person to be able to talk to. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes, we're getting into our 20 most important Cardinals for 2022. We're finishing out this list over the next couple of days, Alex. This is going to carry over into next week. We got Monday. Wow. <laughs> just Monday, we then, then not, we're done. We did not time this out right. Number two coming up in about 15 minutes but next we get back into the blues they're 200 foot players they're the ones that are picking up the slack and they're doing it at the exact right time for this team what's it mean we'll talk about it next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn played Arizona, we played Seattle. Uh, those are teams that uh, maybe you can get away with it when you don't do it perfectly, but I don't think we'll get away with it tomorrow if, if we don't do it from, from the get-go till the end of the game. Uh, playing, like you said, to that identity to, to forecheck uh, the other team more than we have done uh, earlier uh, when it wasn't going as well. Uh, making sure we take care of the blue lines, uh, no turnovers that aren't necessary. And I guess some guys will make more plays than others in your head that you can sense is there an opportunity for for a pass if it gets through it's a two-on-one it's a it's a breakaway sometimes you got to try those plays anyway uh but it'll be a big test for us that was david perron on with character and smallman yesterday as the blues are riding a six game point streak into their opportunity tonight against minnesota pregame with randy character beginning for this one at six o'clock right here on your home for the blues 101 espn and david perron was talking about what he's been referencing now for weeks really as he's gone on his weekly interviews with character and smallman alex he keeps telling them we've got to play this specific style we've got to play this specific style we've got to get back to our identity and that's what they've done in this recent six-game stretch. And you look at who's doing it, it's all of the forwards that we talk about all the time that are legitimate 200-foot players. Robert Thomas has a career-long seven-game streak of four goals, eight assists in this stretch, point streak. 
Braden Shin is at six games with a point streak. Two goals, six assists in that stretch. Ryan O'Reilly, five-game point streak. And at four games, you have Ivan Barbashev and Pavel Buchnevich. All of those guys are legit 200-foot forwards for this team, and it's no coincidence, at least in my mind, that they're the ones that are leading the charge right now when you're playing your best. And it's no coincidence that the other guys on the roster are playing better because your leaders are playing this way. Uh, And take, for example, Ivan Barbashev right now. I played audio on on, uh, Wednesday's pregame in our our Inside the Room segment because – you got Ivan Barbashev, who's on a little bit of a point streak right now. But you also have Ivan Barbashev, who was in a 10-game pointless streak back in January and February. And Craig Berube basically said the reason he's having more success right now is because he's playing more physical. And he said, I personally feel that Ivan Barbashev is like a Braden Shen and that his best games are when he's the most physical on the ice because it opens up space. And Ivan Barbashev, look at how he has scored these last couple of goals. He picked up a goal against the Arizona Coyotes off of laying a hit on Alex Galchenyuk, who loses his helmet, takes a penalty, and then goes to the bench to get a because that's where the penalty came from because he played without his helmet. And while he goes to the bench, Ivan Barbashev says, okay, well, that's my guy. He goes to the front of the net, and then the rebound's right there for him. You also get the assist on the odd man rush the other night, the pass to Robert Thomas. That's Ivan Barbashev playing physical in the defensive zone. And if you look at how Ryan O'Reilly's been playing, how Braden Shen's been playing, all of these guys are playing more of a physical brand of hockey below the goal line, which opens up space for their line mates, which opens up opportunities for them to score goals. That's what Craig Peruby wants from his team, and that's why you're seeing more offense. That's why you've seen this team score four or more goals in all six of their last games because they're playing more physical. And it's one thing to do that against Vancouver or Arizona or Seattle or even to a degree Edmonton, but the game that it really impressed me in was at Calgary. And if they're able to continue doing that once again tonight against Minnesota, uh, that's going to be a really, really telling sign, not just for right now, but also what the Blues can potentially do in the playoffs. And that's what I wanted to get to with you, Alex, is what this game specifically means for the potential playoff matchup between these two teams. Because you're going to play the Wild tonight. You're going to play them once again next weekend. Both of those games are going to be at home here in St. Louis. What are we going to learn about this potential playoff matchup? Because the overwhelming likelihood at this point is you'll see in some capacity, either with the Blues having home ice or the Wild, a 2-3 matchup in the Central Division between these two teams. What are we going to learn about that tonight? I think you're going to learn a couple of things. I think you're going to learn, one, how Ville Husso handles a uh, playoff mentality. And I know he's been playing great, but he's playing a team that you could be seeing in the playoffs on a playoff schedule right now. So you're going to get that takeaway from this. But I think the biggest thing you're going to come away from this game tonight is can the Blues match up against these teams that like to play physical. And I brought this up with Mike McKenna earlier, which you can check out after the show on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com. But I I asked Mike, will you learn more about this team being able to play the physical teams after tonight? Because everyone on the national stage, when they talk about the Blues, they're saying, well, they're not as physical as they used to be. They're not as physical as they were as 2019. You don't have to be that physical. The Blues are physical in a different sense. Go back to Minnesota and Nashville a few nights ago. Minnesota was just dropping the gloves with everybody they could. Nashville was doing the exact same. What happened? Minnesota got blown out 5-1 to one because all of their guys are either in the penalty box or they're out of the game because of injury, something like that. The Blues don't play that way. They will drop the gloves if you absolutely need them to, but the Blues like to play the style 
to let the other team try and be the aggressors. The Blues are going to play physical no matter what because they dump the puck in, they follow up with some checks on the forecheck, and they cycle the puck. But if you get guys that are trying to start stuff after the whistle, the Blues are going to take advantage of that because sooner or later somebody's going to get called for a penalty. And if Minnesota's trying to be the aggressors out there, they're going to force the Blues onto a power play. And we all know what happens when the Blues go on the power play. They're the third best in the National Hockey League. So I think, and my theory all along has been, this is the best matchup for the Blues in the playoffs is taking on this Minnesota team. And everybody's pushback has been, I don't know. I don't think they can handle this physical brand of hockey. I think they can, and I think they're the better team when the other teams try to be the aggressors. Yeah, and you look at what the Wilds have done. Like the, Their defense and their goal suppression has been what's worked for them. I know everybody talks about the offense, and don't get me wrong, their offense has been quite good, but prior to that game against uh, Nashville where they, as you said, were just dropping the gloves from start to finish in that one, they were on a 10-game point streak. And in those games, this is the number of goals that they allowed per game, Alex. Two, one, zero, two, 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 one, four. Lost that game against Pittsburgh in overtime. One, one. They basically were giving up two or one or zero goals in every game other than the one game that they lost in overtime against Pittsburgh. If you're able to get that offense going against them, you can beat them. The thing that they've done so well is they've prevented that against most of the teams that they're going up against. And that's the number one thing that I'm going to be looking for. If the Blues end up going on a run in the playoffs this year, it will be because of their offense. It will not be a defensive-minded, goal prevention, shot suppression style of team as they were back in 2019. For them to reach their full potential, it requires them to score three-plus goals per game. That has to be the way that this team wins. They cycle it in the offensive zone. They get the defensemen that are pinching up, and they get that uh, coming out of their own zone, whether it be Colton Pareko skating it out, Nick Letty with his great uh, exit passes. Eventually, when Tory Krug gets back, him and Justin Falk getting back to their offensive-minded uh, defenseman pairing. Like That's how this team is going to win. And tonight, I'm really curious to see if they can sustain what they've been building in this recent six-game streak. Can you do that against a team as physical and as good as Minnesota is? That's going to be the test, and once you get into the playoffs, those are the types of teams that you're going to have to be able to beat. Keep an eye out on how the Blues do when they get hemmed in their own zone because one thing that this Minnesota Wild team is really good at is puck possession, the Corsi rating in the offensive zone. But I think what plays to their advantage that – Nashville did really well against Minnesota was that when the team tries to push them into their own zone, it takes two passes into the neutral zone, and then the Blues are off to the races. Minnesota's fast, but if I'm not mistaken, they don't have Matt Dumba, who got injured in that Nashville Predators game. That's a piece of their defensive end. I think for the Blues, keep an eye on them with, with passes, because if, they're, if their passes are tape to tape and they're into the neutral zone quickly – I think that's how this Blues team takes advantage of Minnesota because they can get behind the Minnesota Wilds players faster than Minnesota can behind the Blues players. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. BK's big take. If you score more goals than the opponent, you're going to win the game. That's true. Sir, first of all, great point. Second of all, my, my point is really more so like if you're going to win against this team, it's got to be because of the goal scoring. Like it, The Wilds are very likely to score three goals in this game tonight. Very likely. That's what they've done. That's who they are as a team, and Kaprizov is just having an unbelievable season. He's got up to 40, 40 goals already this year. But that's another advantage for the Blues because I think they match up really well in terms of line pairings. And that's I think tonight's going to be an example of why you want home ice over road because you can put Ryan O'Reilly's line against the Zuccarello line 
I'm so curious to see how they match I, up against that Kaprizov line. I'm so curious. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Braden Shen's line is going to be paired up against the Kaprizov line because you've got size and speed on that line. And now if Torepchenko's playing on that line, I'm really curious because Torepchenko and Kaprizov, you could see a little bit of a pairing there. They're going to go with the mismatch of Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich because I don't know if a line for Minnesota can match up and stop that line unless they're getting Kaprizov's line out there because Matt Zuccarella and Kevin Fiala play on that line. Those are their defensive guys. So unless they can get that matchup, this is why Craig Berube needs to have home ice in the first round because they can exploit the mismatch on Minnesota. Their third and fourth lines, the Blues have better matchups with their third and fourth lines. It's interesting because I I would tend to agree with you typically, but the step that we've seen Thomas take this year, I'm not sure that there's an obvious mismatch for the Wild other than going up against the Blues' fourth line with that Caprice offline. I feel okay with on the road the Blues matching up any of their top three lines against that Kaprizov line. If it's O'Reilly's line, Thomas, or Shin, any of those three can handle them. Now, there are some that I feel better about than others, but I think that you're going to be okay regardless of which line is out there because of the way that those centermen in particular have been able to play defensively all season long so far. Yeah, I can't wait. In to the past, I wouldn't have felt that way, though. I really can't wait to watch this one tonight because I think it's going to be fascinating. And don't forget, they play each other next weekend. Yeah, next, Saturday. next Saturday in Minnesota. So, like, it's this here. Oh, I thought it was in Minnesota. I believe it's here, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it? at St. Louis, oh. 2 o'clock start on ABC. The rivalry continues. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis back in the studio, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from the ENB Granite studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. In 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer with three things outside of St. Louis that caught my attention from opening this day. This isn't a T-bone three, is it? It is not. Okay, but coming good. up next, the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022, we continue with number two, a guy that had a big day once again on opening day yesterday here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on PK and Ferrario. Number two, Nolan Arenado. What just happened? 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Honestly, better sports center update than Jackson singing yesterday. Uh oh, that, that's a low bar to clear, but yes, 100% agree. Also, I think he did what I did yesterday when we were having this segment. I missed the beginning of yesterday's 20 most important Cardinals update. And Grant, if you could turn that bed down just a little bit, that'd be wonderful, my man. Um, yesterday, I was taking a bathroom break at the start of the 20 most important Cardinals when we broke down, what was it, Paul Goldschmidt yesterday? Yeah. And today, Grant forgot to do his Sports Center update. No, Grant's controller just broke. Grant, you can turn your mic on here. Did, <laughs> what happened there, buddy? No, listen, so I did my update, um, <laughs> but nobody heard it. That, that was the only problem with it. It was actually a really good update if anybody could have heard it. Um, but I went to turn my mic off after I finished and realized that uh, the mic was already off. So, Mike, Grant. Just understand one thing. Your Sports Center update, you could do you could not turn your mic on and do it, and it will always be better than mine, where I stumbled oh over Andy Dalton for a good 30 seconds, and I didn't even say anything. I just stayed on the air 
with a dead look on my face for 30 seconds trying to figure out what the hell I was trying to pronounce. It was actually the same SportsCenter update as what we just got, but Alex was trying to speak worse. They just weren't coming out. My controller out. truly broke on that one. All right, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022 with number two, Nolan Arenado. Alex, you had him all the way down at number four on your list. Tanner had him at number one. I had him up at number two, so I was right in line with where we ultimately have him. Nolan Arenado looks great once again yesterday. And the thing that I am most excited about, I, this is not a criticism of what Nolan Arenado was yes, last year. Let me once again state that. This is not a criticism of Nolan Arenado from a year ago. Nolan Arenado's defense early in the year left a little something to be desired. He looked like he just wasn't totally with it with the way that the Cardinals were playing. And a lot of it came when they were doing the shift and he was playing in a different way than what he was doing on the shift in Colorado. Took some time getting used to that. Yesterday, he already made multiple plays that were gold glove caliber. And do I think his offense is gonna be better this year as he gets used to Bush Stadium and having to play at a pitcher's park? Yes, I do. I think the average is going to go up from where it was a year ago at 255. I think you're going to see a little bit more power this year as well. But really for me, I think the start to finish defense is maybe the biggest impact he's going to have compared to last year early on in the season, especially with the number of ground ball pitchers the Cardinals have. Honestly, I must have been drinking when I put this list together because I thought I had Nolan Arenado higher up than number four. But <laughs> anyway, I said it yesterday. I feel like O'Neal, Arenado, and Goldschmidt are interchangeable in terms of their importance. Like, I think you could have any of them two, three, and four, and it would make sense. Arenado, to me, though, is, is very similar to Paul Goldschmidt in terms of the defense. Like, I know the bat, like, even if last year was an off year for him, if it gets any better, you're golden. If it gets worse, I still think you're in a pretty good position because. Nolan Arenado is that impactful. And to be fair, I want to say this as well. Nolan Arenado eventually got it right, and he was great Absolutely. defensively. Really after, I think like May-ish, May, May 1st probably was the cutoff. The first month or two of the season, it was a little off. After that, he was excellent. I think his defense is going to be very impactful this season for the Cardinals because you need that gold glove at third. We saw the years of how bad it was for this team when they didn't have a third baseman who could make big plays. We saw it last year how impactful it was for their defense. So, Nolan Arenado, again, offensively, I think it's interchangeable with O'Neal Goldschmidt in, in, in Arenado, but the defense sets him above the rest, in my opinion, because that, that could be a game changer this season. His projections this year are pretty good, although not quite what we would probably expect them uh, to be for the Cardinals going into this season. According to Fangraphs, if you're looking at the Zips projections, which is typically what I like to use, he's projected for right around 25 to 30 home runs once again. He's projected for a 265 batting average and an OPS of 801. I think he's going to be a little better than that. I think you're going to get closer to kind of what we were talking about yesterday with Tyler O'Neill, 35 home runs, close to 100 RBI, maybe more than 100 RBI once again, and an OPS probably closer to 850 to 880 in that range is what I'm hoping for this season. And if he gets there, you mentioned this earlier today, Alex, whenever we were talking off air. This can be not a replica, but maybe the closest thing that the Cardinals have had to the MV3, where you have Tyler O'Neill, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, all three of which 
could definitely get to 30 plus home runs and it would not be a surprise I don't think at least to see all three of them get to 100 plus RBI as well I said yesterday on the show that if we're not having an MV3 conversation at the end of the season I think it's a disappointing season because all three guys have the potential for that but after watching yesterday and I know save the text messages it was the Pittsburgh Pirates and it was the first game of the season it doesn't matter you have the potential to have an MV3 conversation that I don't know how many teams have that on their roster that they can have the same conversation with. But with Tyler O'Neill, Nolan Arenado, and Paul Goldschmidt as your 2-3-4 hitter, you're talking about guys who are going to probably have somebody on base in scoring position at all times with Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond, and Harrison Bader hitting right before them and then the potential to hit 30 bombs. You could have possibly 100 home runs combined with those three this season. Like, that's impressive to say, and you haven't seen that for the Cardinals since Pujols, Edmonds, and Roland. And you could see right in front of them Dylan Carlson hitting 20 to 25 as well. Paul I mean, it's Young just, hitting 30 behind them as well. That That is what's different about the lineup this year. We talked about it in the beginning. It has the potential, at least, to be something very similar to what we saw this year from the Blues. Last year, for what it's worth, all three of them did finish with more than 30 home runs. You had Arenado and O'Neal with 34, Goldie with 31. The RBI is where I think you're going to see something a little different this time around. I think Tyler O'Neill is going to be able to up his number from where it was last year when he finished with 80. Goldie at 99, Arenado with 105. I think you're going to see all three guys, 30-plus home runs, 90-plus RBIs, and, man, that would be one hell of a year from the, for the middle of this order. That is getting a lot closer yeah. to what you see from the legit contenders, teams like last year, what the Braves had in the middle of their order, what the Dodgers have had for years now from their 2-3-4. Those teams that have the big boppers, the fearsome guys in the middle of the order, the Cardinals are finally in that same category with a bunch of other teams, both in the National League and with baseball at large. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we've got a question on Tyler O'Neill that the fast lane posed yesterday. I want to get Alex's thoughts on this. We'll do it coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, we get back into opening day with the non-Cardinals related things that took place yesterday, including what I believe to be one of the greatest moments for Tim Kirkchen's career. We'll do that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are diving into the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario with three non-Cardinals-related opening day moments that I wanted to get to with you, Alex. So I'm going to have you, we can go through all three of these, and then you tell me which of these moments deserves the gold medal, the silver medal, and the bronze medal for the three best moments of yesterday. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right, let's start out with Matt Vaskersian, the play-by-play voice for the Angels, who got very excited yesterday as Shohei Otani stepped to the plate. He's 2-2 two and two to Otani. Shohei, high drive to right. Not quite enough. Boy, the crowd ready to go crazy. Yikes. Uh, was that TV? That was TV, right? <laughs> that was TV. 
All right, so far, uh, Matt, I love you, buddy, but that's a bronze. You better hope that these other ones get worse. Yikes. I mean, I get the – it's opening day, and it's Shohei, and you know anytime he puts the bat on ball, it, there's a chance it goes out of the park. But, like, Ooh. man. I mean, yesterday it was really windy at Bush so, Stadium. So I didn't see this, though. Like, how close was it? Like, are we talking warning track, or was this like a pop-up right out of the infield? This was – Shallow right field? No. Like, when, right, the, the right fielder did not move. Honestly, if Matt did that on MLB The Show, who, of course, is the voice of the video game, if he did that on me on the show, I'd take, throw I'd your take the remote and throw it because we're not playing anymore. <laughs> All right. The next moment from yesterday was Tim Kirkchin on ESPN's coverage. By the way, their broadcast team is so much better this year. It yeah. is vastly improved. I, uh, I was watching some of that game last night. Tim Kirkshin was so excited when he got to see a moment of history with Joey Votto. Here's Kirkshin explaining it. Well, going into tonight's game, Joey Votto had over 8,000 plate appearances in the career, two pop-outs to the catcher in his career, two to the first baseman, and zero to the pitcher until tonight. That's the first time he's ever popped out to the pitcher. Flying down here for this trip, I said... The only thing I want to happen on opening night when we have the game is for Joey Votto to pop out to the pitcher, and then it happened. That's unbelievable. I wish I I loved anything. I love him. The way that Tim Kirchin loves random baseball trivia moments. He, He literally did watch history yesterday as Joey Votto popped out. Where does that rank compared to the Matt Veskersian moment yesterday? I would say that's gold. But I, I feel like I got to hear the other one. But, All right. man, that one's really good. Let me hear the other one before I rank these So two. we found out yesterday that it was National Beer Day. Yeah. Now the Arizona Diamondbacks went into the ninth inning down, I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken, two to one. And then this happened. Seth Beer, fly oh. ball, right field. It's National Beer Day. scripted it any better. Seth Beer wins it on opening night. Are you kidding me? Get the hell out of here. Are you kidding me? Seth Seth Beer Beer on National Beer Day walks it off for the Diamondbacks. That's that's incredible. That's gold. Uh, That's gold. You got to do it. And then I saw the Diamondbacks tweeted out. They said, beer me another one of those. Anytime you could do a a double meaning with a home run and a player uh, at the batter's box, that wins, unfortunately, because I love Timmy K, and those laughs and high giggles he has are hard to beat. But if Seth Beer beers us a walk-off home run on Beer Day, takes the cake, gold medal. So gold medal for the beer walk-off, silver for, silver for Kirkjian, and then a bronze for. Uh, now somebody's texting in and said that apparently it was a shot to deep right field, and it was the potential to put the Angels into the lead, and then called us a nincompoop. I mean, also great use of nincompoop. I have not not heard that in a long time. 
you want to call that deep right, that's fine. Uh, the gentleman in right field did not move for the Astros. So you can call it whatever you want to. I'm just telling you that had no chance of going over the wall. Easy, Zero chance whatsoever. Easy nincompoop. A couple other moments that I saw yesterday. Uh, loved the fact that the Cubs took down the Brewers on opening day. Felt good, that, didn't it? That that was enjoyable. That I'm, one was enjoyable considering I've been the hater for the Brewers all offseason. I'm not sure I'm buying into Milwaukee. And I know there's well, only one game for Ariel, but... Like their lineup, like they got Andrew McCutcheon hitting leadoff right now. Colton Wong was hitting seventh for them. Their lineup is not very good, man. It well, their I lineup, should clarify. Their lineup is centered around Christian Yelich. If he doesn't hit, it's not. It's going to be a bad season for him. Colton Wong was leadoff yesterday for them. For what? Oh, it's worth. this today. I think they had the McCutcheon lineup. was batting cleanup for them yesterday. Today their lineup had McCutcheon leading off and Colton Wong in seventh, and I think that game was postponed because gotcha. of rain. But I saw the, the lineups that they put together. That's where I thought that was coming yeah. from. They need Willie Adamas to do what he did last year when he was traded to the Brewers. And they need Christian Yelich to revert back to MVP form. If they get that out of him, yeah, they'll be fine. The, their offense will be very good. Well, even Corbin Burns didn't look that great either. I'm not too worried about him as long as he stays healthy. But, yeah, it was a rough start for him yesterday. But Christian Yelich, if he doesn't return to MVP form, that, that offense has no middle of the order. That looks like the Cardinals offense from, like, 2019-2018-ish, yeah. and they are going to have to have historic levels of pinching once again, which typically doesn't happen. The one other moment that I wanted to make sure that I got to, did you see my boy Bobby Wood Jr. yesterday? Uh, of course we're bringing Royals into this conversation. Did you see Bobby Wood Jr. yesterday? Bobby Witt, Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. yesterday sprinted 30.8 feet per second down the line on a ground out, unfortunately, <laughs> which would have been, if that was the average for him last year, the fastest player in baseball. From third base, he made an incredible play throwing across the infield at 89 miles per hour. And then he hit the game-winning double 110 miles per hour down the line. Bobby Witt Jr., I said to my buddy yesterday, and maybe this is me being crazy, if he becomes Trey Turner, it's a disappointment. He should be better than that. I think he is fast Manny Machado. Like, if Manny Machado had speed... I thought you said he was supposed to be better than Manny. I mean, if Manny Machado could steal 30 bases per year, that is what I think Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be. He is unbelievable, man. Like, he is, he is already one of, potentially, the better players in baseball this year. And he's 21 years old. Who's gonna have a he's better? Incredible. Who's gonna have a better career, Wander Franco or Bobby Wood Jr.? I think the the safe money is probably on Franco. I will not be a homer here. Who but gets traded first, Bobby Wood oh, Jr. or Wander Franco? Franco, 100. <laughs> percent Wander Franco. There's zero chance that he finishes his career with Tampa Bay. He already signed that contract. They're ready to go. They could trade him to the Yankees tomorrow if they wanted That's to. That's amazing. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next, is Tyler O'Neill going to be the next face of the Cardinals? And if so, how long does he have to wait to become that? We'll talk about it next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Neill! Can Tyler O'Neill be the next face of the Cardinals? 
It's a question the fast lane asked yesterday. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest as Tyler O'Neill got off to yet another great start to this season, showing his power, showing his speed, and I'm sure his defense is going to be on full display this weekend as the Cardinals continue their series against the Pirates. Alex, yesterday Tyler O'Neill became the first player with five or more RBI on opening day since 19. 19- 1928. He is now on pace for roughly 800 this year, which, shockingly enough, would in fact be a Major League Baseball record. Do you think he can be the next face of the Cardinals? I think so. And I mean, the, mind you, we're saying this knowing that this is after Nolan Arenado and after Paul Goldschmidt, but like when Yachty retires, I think Tyler O'Neill is going to be in the conversation for that face of the Cardinals. And I think it's because of the power potential that he has. I think it's for the potential of him being a five-tool player. But I think also it's because of kind of how he is with the fan base outside of it. Like, it reminds you a lot of how Yachty has always been and Ueno has always been. And before that, Albert Pujols was. Like, watching him yesterday on opening day on and off the, the field, it does remind me a lot of somebody that you look at and you say, he could take over as the face of the franchise moving forward. Remember last year, it was down the stretch when the team was was winning a lot in September. I think it was during that 17-game winning streak, in fact. And he had that quote after a game, and I don't remember when, when it was yeah, specifically. Yeah, it was like to have six sallies with the boys. No, it, was it wasn't that quote. one. He, he said, we're the Cardinals. Winning is what we do, basically, is, is me paraphrasing what his quote was. That's the kind of thing, like, he, he just has this this way about him. And I felt it once again last night in a lot of his interviews where he's just, he's so sure of himself in a way that's not cocky, it's not arrogant, it's just a lot of confidence in the way that he goes about his business. And in some ways that reminds me a little bit of the Jim Edmonds type of mantra when, when he was here in St. Louis. And they're different players, they go about it a little bit differently. But Tyler O'Neill just has that that swagger about him in a way but also just this air about him of, we are about winning. And that is the only thing Tyler O'Neill cares about. And he makes sure to include that in almost every answer that he gives to anybody. He is a super hardworking player, and it took him a little while to really latch on here in St. Louis. But I do think if he's able to continue what he did a year ago, I think here in St. Louis, those struggles that he went through to try to figure out who he was as a player at the big league level can almost make him more appreciated here in this specific baseball town. And what I mean by that is because when you watch a guy so publicly fail, which is what happened with O'Neill the first three years in the big leagues. I mean, he he got worse at the plate every year of his career early on. And then last year he breaks out. When you publicly fail like that, you become a little more vulnerable. And then for him to have the success that he is now showing, where he could legitimately now just be, for the next five years, a guy that consistently hits 30 or more home runs, 80 or more RBI, does not strike out quite at the same rate that he once did, and looks like one of the best players in baseball, where he's a consistent MVP candidate, man, this town will fall in love with you, especially the way he plays defense. Because when you're hitting it like he does, and you play defense in the outfield the way that he has and can, yeah. that is how you become a fan favorite here in St. Louis. That being said, will he be the face of the franchise? You mentioned after Nolan Arenado, maybe. That's why I'm just not sure that he can be. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. Can he be since he wasn't drafted by the Cardinals? 
Like, and I understand they've had plenty. But of, neither was Nolan Arenado. I understand, and that's why I'm asking that question, though, because Nolan Arenado has become that face of the franchise, and Scott Rowland was that guy for a while. Jim Edmonds was that guy for a while. Chris Carpenter, all of these guys weren't. But with since Albert Pujols, the face of the franchise has been a player that was drafted, developed, and spent his entire career with the Cardinals, with the exception of Adam Wainwright, but I would – make an argument for that because he wasn't drafted, but he was developed by the Cardinals. I would Cardinals. say that's the comp for O'Neill, though, because he, he never played he in was, the big leagues for any other team. But he got the AAA with Seattle, didn't he? I, I understand, but I I think that's probably the, the closest thing that you could get to for, for O'Neill. Um, and, and there for a while, like Matt Holiday, maybe he wasn't. It was never at the same level as Yadi or Wayno. Those were always the guys in that 2012 to yeah. 2000 and what, really 22 range. They continued to be the face of the franchise, but Holiday kind of emerged as being one of those guys. He was in that group, at least, and he was traded for here. And I think that, like, if you just ask me today, projecting forward, if the Cardinals have Yachty, Wayno, and Albert all retire this year, who is the next face of the Cardinals franchise? My first answer, if we were going family, family feud style of, like, the top five answers that you could give, I think my first answer would be Nolan Arenado. I think he's the new guy. Over Paul Goldschmidt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think Goldie just goes about his business, man. I, I don't know that he is – I don't know what it is about him, but I don't think he is it's that kind of, It's guy. kind of a Mike Trout effect, isn't it? Ish, Where, yeah. like, he goes about his business, and that's about – like a. Uh, but Anthony Rizzo was the face of the, the, the Cubs for a while. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that one. I think Nolan Ar- Arenado definitely would be the face of the franchise – moving forward but after him that's where it gets interesting because as much as we love Tyler O'Neill if Dylan Carlson gets to the form that we're all talking about See, with I don't him, think I think Carlson's in that same mold as uh as Paul Goldschmidt yeah, I don't Carlson's know. got a little bit of a swag to him as well a little bit I think Tyler O'Neill would be number two for me I think he would be second on my list and then after him I know this might sound weird like depending on what happens with Jordan Walker, I think Jordan Walker might be number three on that yeah, list. Yeah, you're you're right you're because right. he carries himself in a way that just allows for stuff like that. Like you mentioned, Anthony Rizzo. I think that that's maybe a good team to look to. Is like they had so many not for us here in St. Louis, but in Chicago, those guys were all beloved in that community. But there were certain guys that just became the face, right? When they when when the media would talk to players, they would go to Anthony Rizzo, and he would be the public speaking face for that team. And so he was the guy. I think Walker could be that guy. I think O'Neal could be that guy. I think Arenado could be that guy. I'm not sure Carlson or or Goldie are. And that's not a shot against them. You can be an excellent baseball player without being the face of your franchise. I don't know that Anthony Rizzo was the best player on the Cubs at any point in that stretch. But he was always very good, and he was the guy that was the public face of that team. Would you agree with this from the 3-1-4? We were talking MV3 earlier. Nolan equals Pujols. O'Neal equals Edmonds. Goldschmidt equals Roland. I don't think anybody equals Pujols. Well, that's, that's the, the tough part. That's the thing. But if you had to go with the closest comp to him, I think I would say Tyler O'Neal. For Pujols? Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I think the O'Neal equals Edmonds that – there's some of that there. I think the closer one, although their games just don't match because he's not the same hitter. But 
if you're looking for an admins comp on this team, it's probably Bader in terms of the way that they play, at least defensively, and the way they carry and themselves I think as Nolan well. Nolan Arenado is closer to a Scott He's Scott Rowland. Yeah. That, that's, that's the comp. You just don't have no, – nobody's like, Nobody be has Pujols. Yeah. Because, like, and I'm not just talking about here in St. Louis, but in baseball, there, there isn't an Albert Pujols. He was, he was the machine for a reason, and the way that he was appreciated, the way that he appreciated the community, like it's just – it's different, so I, I don't know that that's the, that's the way that I would necessarily characterize it, but I do think O'Neal being Edmonds and Nolan being Roland, there's a little bit of that. I, I, I'm curious from the 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Um, I, I think there's a lot of different options here. From the 618, I honestly think by the time Arenado leaves that Walker will be here and he's going to be the face of the Cardinals. Who else do you think would be on that list? Is there anybody the else Cardinals? pitcher-wise? That could do this because Wayno was unique in that he he was a guy that was the face of the Cardinals pitching wise for really about the last decade or so I would say for sure uh, you could maybe argue the last fourteen ish years but yeah that doesn't happen very often with pitchers do they have anybody else right now on the team or coming up that you think could get there because I don't I, think Michaelis can get there I don't think Mats can get there maybe Dakota Hudson. I mean, Dakota Hudson might be the closest comp to this, and then you're going into the Matthew Libator conversation, but even Libator, I don't think they have anybody. I don't think they do. I think Hudson, and I don't necessarily think that's inherently a bad thing, but I just don't think that they've got a guy that can take over pitching-wise for Wayno. I just – I think Dakota Hudson would be the closest thing to it because I do think he could have that starter number one stuff if he stays healthy and continues to grow. But other than that, someone texted in Michael McGreevy. I don't know much about Michael McGreevy. Yeah. I mean, that you're talking six, seven years down the line right now. So I think – I don't know if they have. But how rare are face of the franchise starting pitchers in baseball? Like, I don't know if there's a lot of those guys anymore. Yeah, there, there's really not. I mean, if you were just going through and doing like the I say a team, you say the name that Jacob immediately comes to, comes to mind. comes to mind with uh, – that that might be the one that immediately comes to mind for you. I'm trying to think of other ones. You, you know what's weird, and I think that the, that the correct answer here is probably Tim Anderson as being the face of the franchise. But in some ways, Lance Lynn immediately comes to mind when I think of the White Sox. Oh, really? Like, like which is strange because it's he's only been there now for Anderson a couple of seasons. Anderson and Luis Robert are the two that comes to mind with the White Sox. I'm trying I, to think of who else would I mean, be in that this, category. This just goes to show you how awful Cincinnati is, but Luis Castillo with the Cincinnati Reds, but even Joey Votto's the face of yeah, that Yeah, Joey Votto would probably be the guy there I don't know me. if there's other than the Dodgers it, for the longest time. For a while, time. the Nationals, I would probably go Max Scherzer was the face of that. Yeah, but now it's Juan Soto. Yeah. Um, the Dodgers, for a longest time, it was Clayton Kershaw, but that's changed now to a, a Mookie Betts with that team. I don't know if there's another team in the National League that has a pitcher. That's a really interesting point. As a face of the franchise, and even in the American League, I mean, it's pretty rare. Like, Garrett Cole's not the face of the New York Yankees. It's Aaron Judge for the New York Yankees. Yeah. I, I don't know if there is one in the Amer – I don't know if there's one in baseball anymore other than Jacob DeGrom with the New York Mets. It's a really interesting point. It, like, I, it's something that I hadn't really considered, but Wayno's kind of the last of a dying breed, and we knew that. Him, and, him Kershaw – um, I think you could make the same argument about Scherzer. Uh, th those guys. One. Shane Bieber in Cleveland, but I'd argue Jose Ramirez. Yeah, I, I think so too. And prior to that, it was Francisco Lindor yep. before he ended up leaving. Um, th those guys just, they, they don't really exist anymore. And yeah. yet, if you go back 15, 20 years, if we were doing the same thing, Alex, I bet you we could have gone through and named 10 different teams that had a starting pitcher that was the face of their franchise at Agreed. that point in time. Uh, so it's just, I think that shows you once again how much the game has changed. 
Um, but Tyler O'Neill, I think, will be in the running, even if he's not the guy. I think it's going to be Nolan Arenado. I think he's the one that, that carries the torch after Yachty, Wayno, Pujols all ended up to, uh, retiring. And Tyler O'Neill's kind of behind him. I, I think he ends up... He ends up being kind of the number two or number three guy for the Cardinals. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're catching up with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. One got to go next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for one's gotta go. You give us four options, we will tell you which one's gotta go. Let's start out with this one. Somebody gave us three options on this, but we'll take it nonetheless. One's gotta go weather edition. Hot, humid August days, cold, wind chill January days, or any day in April that is like the last couple, where it's rainy and forty degrees. And unpredictable and windy. Which of those three has got to go? Look, I I dislike hot, humid days, but that would be number one of I have to have it because I can't deal with the frigid cold. But I'm actually going to get rid of the April inconsistencies. Oh, okay. Because there's nothing worse than waking up in the morning thinking that you're expecting a good 65 nice day where I can walk around with a long sleeve shirt on and feel great and then walk outside and it's snowing with 40-degree weather. So I'm getting rid of the unpredictability. If I know it's cold, I'll dress up that way. So I was supposed to do a bunch of yard work this weekend, Alex. I had a bunch of stuff to do in the yard, and I was supposed to seal in our fence this weekend as well. It's going to be a long weekend of being outdoors for me. Looked at my phone earlier this week and realized it is not going to be a very long weekend at the outdoors for me any longer. We have a high today of 46 degrees, and when we both arrived, it was snowing. Alex, it is April 8th. This has got to go. It's supposed to be nice right now. It's supposed to be 60-plus degrees as a high right now. And instead, here in St. Louis, we are dealing with a whole bunch of crap with the weather. So this has got to go. Amen, brother. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. One's got to go. Emerging Stars Edition here in St. Louis. Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Jordan Cairo, or Robert Thomas? I think I'm going to get rid of Dylan Carlson. I don't like it, but... I promise you, O'Neal and Thomas aren't going anywhere. And it comes down to Carlson and Cairo. And as much as I love Carlson, of course, I'm the hockey guy, so you'd expect this from me. I love the fact that every time Jordan Cairo has the puck on his stick, I'm waiting for something crazy to happen. Dylan, and maybe it's just baseball, but Dylan Carlson doesn't have that effect yet for me. Like when Tyler O'Neal steps into the box, I'm expecting something big to happen. So got to get rid of Dylan Carlson here. You're going to get rid of Jordan Cairo. I know you ain't getting rid of Robert Thomas. No, we just you, you spent a segment on Tyler O'Neill. So let's see what you hate more, Blues hockey or Cardinals baseball. Can I trade Jordan Cairo for uh, Matthew Kachuk? Yeah, probably. Would what? you do that? If you're telling me like this upcoming offseason straight up, Cairo for Kachuk? Yeah, I think I would. You'd probably have to include more. I don't know how much more, though. Because they're losing a star and they're gaining a star. I think you probably have to throw in 
picks or prospects, as, as Stalter would Stalter say. Stalter would like to talk about there. But I, I would pull the trigger because Matthew Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk is a couple of years ahead of Jordan Kairou, but he's more established, if that makes sense. I think I'm getting rid of Jordan Kairou. Oh, I no. think out of the four of these guys, the one that – and I know, I know. I, I hope that they don't have to get rid of any of these guys. Like, I would like to keep all four. The one that I think is most easily replaceable is probably Kyra, given the goal production that you have elsewhere from this lineup and the fact that I do believe at some point Matthew Kachuk, and this is just speculation by me, will be a blue. So I'm going to go with Jordan Kyrou, and I don't like it whatsoever. One's got to go movie genre edition. Action, comedy, drama, or sci-fi? Which one's oh, got to go? Oh, this one's easy, sci-fi. I don't know the last time I saw a good sci-fi film. Sci-fi's not my category, man. Like it, it's kind of like the, the fantasy. It, it's not my it's not my cup of tea. Would you consider like superhero movies to be sci-fi? See, I feel like the, like 20 years ago maybe, but I feel like that's brought its own category onto itself now. Like I okay. think superhero films are superhero films. Like I could see some people saying like it's sci-fi, but like, I don't see Iron Man as a sci-fi film. Like, I see Star Trek as sci-fi films. And I'm just not in on those. I would include those, but if we're not going to, then I would probably go with sci-fi is the one that's got to go. But I kind of like certain sci-fi TV shows, and that's where this gets really difficult. Um, if we're just specifically talking about movies, then sci-fi would probably be the one that I get rid of. What are some sci-fi TV shows? I really like to show it's now canceled. So it really. All right. Well, back that horse for me a little bit longer, BK. But a lot of like the Marvel stuff, I know you say it's not, it's kind of in its own category, but a lot of that stuff is like sci fi. But I would consider it action too, though. Okay. Yeah. That, I, I mean, it is. It, it kind of works into both categories. Like, like, like the Avengers is basically the expendables without blood and gore. Yeah. I. Like, Westworld was really good. See, I've heard Westworld is incredible. And if that's sci-fi, then that would be tough. But yeah. you said sci-fi movies, and it's hard to come up with good sci-fi movies. That's fair. Um, the, the show that I really liked was called Travelers, and they canceled it, and I was very upset Great about show. it. Great show. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which ones got to go. One's got to go Home Disaster Edition. Oh, God, no. Flooded Basement. You go a week without power, a pipe leak or burst in your house, or a refrigerator that breaks down. Which of these four has got to go? Look, I can say from experience, a flooded basement has to go. There is, so this was back when I, we were living in our old house, and this was when I was working for KMOX at the time, and I had a pre and post to do on the weekend for Cardinals. And I woke up, and I went downstairs after a bad rain overnight, no joke, there was – my entire basement was probably up past my ankles, and I didn't know what the hell to do. There was no set, there was no sump pump in our basement, and so we basically had to rip the entire floor up, mm. clean it all off, and then pay like $10,000 to get a sump oh. pump put in. So that was one of the worst days of my life. So I would say got to get rid of the flooded basement. Yeah, that sounds awful. It was horrible. Um, thankfully, and knock on wood, please, God, do not make this a BKO. Please, oh. please, 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 please. Oh. We haven't dealt with any of these. I'm sure at some point in my life we will. But 
The week-long power outage, depending on when it takes place, sounds awful. Especially if it's in the summer. Yeah, if you have that happen in the summer or in the dead of winter, first of all, that causes other issues that take place with potential pipe issues and all kinds of stuff. But I, I think I would go with the power outage just for that reason, because if the timing is wrong on that, you're super screwed. Although none of these sound particularly enjoyable. The only one that would be fine would be the refrigerator. It's just a lot of money out of your pocket, but there's no disaster that comes with yeah. it. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for One's Gotta Go. Let's finish up with this one. One Gotta Go Frozen Cocktail Edition. Margarita, strawberry daiquiri, pina colada, or frozen sangria. Which one's got to go? What's the sangria? You've never had a sangria before? Uh, I'm actually surprised by that. You're what? an Italian. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's part, part of our culture, man. It's, uh, usually... it's a wine drink. Oh. Wine cocktail. Oh, maybe I have had that then. Wine, fruit, thrown some oh, vodka. Yeah, I think I've had that one. I think the strawberry daiquiri's got to go. Some seasonings. To I'm not a big fan of the strawberry daiquiris. Really? Yeah. Okay. Love the margaritas. There is only one experience, or one, one setting in which I'm drinking a pina colada, and that is when you're next to the, the pool when there is a beach in front of me. Oh, I thought it was when you were caught. You know, I don't actually go out on the beach where it's all sandy and yeah, there's at the pool. stuff in the water. And or I'm you're in good front of a that. television that has photos of the ocean. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really need a pina colada. I would rather have a strawberry daiquiri, a margarita, or a sangria in that setting. So I'm getting rid of the pina colada. I mean, I, I love coconut, though. I love me some pina colada. It's just too sweet, man. It's just too sweet for me. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll wrap a bow on this thing with the BK and Ferrario Rewind. We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, heading into very well might be one of the biggest games of the season for your St. Louis Blues next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, who's been doing a fantastic job filling in for Tanner Hendrickson today. T-Bone will be back on Monday. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And right now, as we do each and every week, we are happy to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Big game tonight, as you heard in that update, between the Blues and the Wild and Kerbs and Joey have you covered starting at 7 o'clock with the puck drop on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Kerbs, how you doing today, man? Brandon, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, doing fantastic and really anticipating this one. I'm I'm really excited about this, Curves. We're about to watch what is essentially a playoff game between the two teams that are battling it out right now for second in this division. Uh, what's the number one thing you're going to be looking for tonight when the puck drops between the Blues and the Wild? For me, I'm going to be looking at the, at the style of play. I, I think the Minnesota Wild probably play closer to the style that we saw from the 2019 and then the 1920 blues team. Uh, I think they went out, they added a little more certainty in their goaltending and in Mark Andre Fleury. They've had solid defense, although Matt Dumba is out, although apparently it's not as bad as they thought. So it, it may not be long-term for him. And that's some good news for Minnesota fans, but you know, they were able to get, they were, they were able to get Kaprizov under contract. He's having an, an unbelievable year. That's going to put him, this season over 90 points by the time it's all said and done. Uh, he and Matt Zuccarello, uh, an older player, but has really developed an amazing bond on and off the ice that has really lifted those guys. But they've got big guys like Eric Sinek, and then they brought in Delorier to add a little, uh, you know, a little toughness and a little sandpaper to them. And that's, that's kind of like the Blues were. The Blues on the flip side, Brandon, 
this is a team that that's just built differently. They've got more. They've got the three highly skilled lines, and then kind of more of that traditional fourth line. Um, they're going to put Miko in the lineup tonight because of the size of the Minnesota Wild. So Callie Rosen right now he's scheduled to sit. So we'll see how that plays out. But can the Blues? I don't know that the Blues can overly dictate the physicality in a game like this. But they definitely have the ability to play through it, absorb a hit, and then keep moving the puck. And and to me, how that plays out with two teams built with a slightly different twist, that that's to me is the main storyline. Curbs, how do you feel like Craig Berube is going to deploy these matchups in terms of centermen? Because we've seen Robert Thomas's line go up against some other teams' top lines, but this could be an opportunity for Craig Berube to try and exploit the mismatch and get Robert Thomas out there maybe against the third pairing for the Minnesota Wild. Well, and, and that that's kind of the MO of this hockey team all season long, is, isn't it? It's it's really if if you key in defensively or somebody has to key in on the O'Reilly line and they have to key in on the Shen line, then that would free up the Thomas Butchnevich Tarasenko line or any version of that that uh you know, that trio there. But to me, Alex, I think the next real step and th- and this is this is gonna be a challenge with the way that, that Thomas line has been playing and the way that that, that Robert has been going and uh, the, the consciousness defensively of Butchnevich and I think Tarasenko, as we've talked about plenty, has had a, a really solid year. They are going to have to still be very responsible defensively, and I think that's a part of the game that is growing for Robert Thomas. It's clearly ingrained in what Butch Navich does, and, and Vladimir Tarasenko uh, sometimes has really good defensive games, sometimes not as much, but I think some consistency in there because for these guys to get the amount of ice time that they need to get to be able to let that skill really show over the course of a game, they're going to end up with some more uh, with some harder matchups, which is going to require them in some shifts during the game to play the puck and battle in the defensive zone. And I, and I think that their growth in that department is going to be a real key to success. Curbs, I am curious what it's going to look like for the Blues tonight without Jordan Cairo potentially in the lineup once again. I thought his game really got better as it went along against Seattle, and I was hopeful that that would be a good jumping-off point for him, especially as uh, the Blues get into more of these playoff styles of matchups. Uh, what, what do you think this means for Cairo, and more specifically what it means for the Blues lineup tonight as they're probably going to need some scoring going up against a really imposing Blues defensive team? Or, excuse me, wild well, defensive good- team. Well, you know, as as you guys know, the, the Wild have been very good defensively and stingy. So I think patience for the St. Louis Blues is going to be key. Now, as stingy as the Wild have been, and I realize the Winter Classic is a totally different game and a different ice surface and everything, and they put up six, including an empty net of the Blues did in that game. So the Blues offense has had the ability to break through defensive teams this season without a shred of doubt. Having said that, they're going to put Alexei Toropchenko on that third line with Barbashev and Shen, just as they had the, just as they had, they did during that Canadian trip when Jordan Cairo was out. I, I've got one eyebrow raised of concern when it comes to Cairo because I don't really know what the situation is. I don't, you know, I know he was sick on the one side. You know, I don't know if he's dealing with an upper body injury or a lower body injury, or, or if there's something that's tweaked that that's keeping him out of the lineup here tonight. I do know that, and I talked to Craig Berube how much he really likes what they're seeing in Toropchenko, the ability to come up play that straight line game. And they said, look, he's a checker. He's going to be a checker, but he can skate. He can get in. He's coachable. There's a lot of growth to his game yet to come. And they've been really happy with him. And his personality is starting to come out on this hockey team too, which is really neat. A a really tremendous, nice young man. So um, to me, when Cairo gets back in, Brandon, that to me is going to be the real key because I want to, he's leading the team in scoring. 
He's getting his name circled on the board every night. That happens when you've got more points than anybody else on your team. And that means you're going to get some harder matchups. And in his first full 82-game season, it requires some battling, some adjustments, some changing of your game uh, to get through there. And now as we get to the playoffs, he's such a key part of this team. They're going to need him, and he's going to need to battle through. So I'm curious to see how he responds in some of these heavier games down the stretch. And hopefully uh, his health will get him in some more of these games so we can get a better gauge of that. Curbs on the personnel topic, we saw uh, Tory Krug and Tyler Bozak skating earlier today, not in the lineup for uh, this evening's matchup against Minnesota, but great news to obviously see those who are we trending towards possibly a return within the next week? Well, I don't know when we're going to see the return. That one I didn't get updated on, but uh, I, I think it's first off, it's just a good start to see them out there. When you've missed the amount of time, and not just missed the amount of time, but haven't been on the ice with your teammates, uh, I think traditionally – you know, you'd like to see, and a coach would like to see a player get into three, four, five practices or skates because you know that with the timing now, you just don't have a lot of practices, right? So something along those kind of lines. When you start to see those guys engaging in the battle drills and on a regular basis, that's that's when you know they're knocking on the door. So they, they could be a few games out yet. We'll have to wait and see, but it was really a good start to see them out on the ice uh, to begin with today. Curbs, uh, final one for me. I, I will say this. It's going to be a fascinating final 12 games of the regular season, not just for the Blues, but for the Western Conference because you do still have three teams fighting for playoff spots with the Dallas Stars, the Vegas Golden Knights, and I believe there's one other team that's still kind of in the thick of things to try and get into the wild card. And it's so different from the West to the East because the Eastern Conference is basically solidified. You know who's in the playoffs. It's just a matter of positioning. The East really hasn't changed almost since Christmas, and it's been crazy. I, I, I noticed this, and I put this out the other day. Teams 9, 10, and 11 ranked in the West are, when you combine their records, they're 20 games over 500 and plus 9 in goal differential. Teams 9, 10, and 11 in the East are something like, oh, shoot, I remember what it was, like, like something like, 30 games under 500 and minus 100 in goal differential, like crazy numbers. But when you look at it, the East has been set. Now Tampa slid a little bit. They, they could jump back up in their division without a doubt. But right now you'd have a Carolina Tampa Bay matchup. You'd have some classic, huge matchups, Rangers, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Boston, you know, Florida and, and Washington. I mean, it could just be, they could be epic. And, and in the West, there's still a chance if Vegas were to get, say, that number two wild card spot, that you'd see Colorado Vegas. But Vegas is still there. Vancouver's knocking on the door, although you really got to think they're out of it. So now it's a question of can Vegas catch Dallas, or not just Dallas, can Las Vegas, can Vegas catch up to Los Angeles? Los Angeles is, is, is within grabbing range of Vegas, and all of a sudden L.A., after having a terrific season, and these final nine games of the regular season for them, could all of a sudden find themselves out of a playoff spot. And, of course, you know, Edmonton has really kind of jumped up now to a seven-point lead, so they seem to be clear of Vegas. It's going to be a great race to watch, guys, because I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know many people around the National Hockey League unless you're in Las Vegas rooting for that team to make the playoffs because I don't think anybody wants to see all of a sudden two or three guys come off a long-term IR. And they've dealt with some real injuries this year, but I don't think all of a sudden they, they want to see Stone and Pacioretty come up for game one of the playoffs. And so missing the playoffs would be quite a stinger for that team. 
He's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. Big one tonight between the Blues and the Wild. This is the first two more games that these two teams have to play tonight and then next Saturday as well. We've got Randy Carricker with pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. Curbs and Joey have puck drop coming up at 7. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, and we'll talk with you again next week. You got it, guys. Thanks. Don't forget, a great show tonight postgame at Obie Clark's with uh, Lutz Fan and Steel coming up. So I'm uh, looking forward to uh, blending sports on that one. Awesome. Looking forward to that. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We'll finish things up with the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Finishing things up today with the BK and Ferrario Rewind. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you can find all of that. Alex, by the way, if you want to check him out on Twitter, you can find him at Ferrario101ESPN. I'm at BK Sports Talk. We'd be happy to talk with you guys over there throughout the weekend this weekend as the Blues are playing some big games and the Cardinals get back in action tomorrow as well. Alex, I wanted to kind of go back to our conversation we were just having on the Blues because, you know, as I'm thinking more and more about it, I, I do wonder sometimes, are we being a little too tough? on this Blues team. They have had points in six straight games. You look at them overall in the season, they're 40, 20, and 10. And I think sometimes the conversations we're having about them, it feels as if they're more like 30, 20, and 10, where they're basically right around 500 when you look at the overtime losses included in there. That's not the case. If you look back, the last time that the Blues were significantly better than this through their first 70 games of the season, it was all the way back in 2015. It's been a minute since we've seen a significantly better team than this through the first 70 games. And then you look at the way that they're winning. You mentioned this during the break as well. They're scoring an average of 3.6 goals per game. Now, there's just more scoring around the NHL in general this year. But if you look at where they rank fifth overall in the league in goals per game, the last time they were that high up was 2013-2014. It's been almost a decade since we've seen an offense that's like this. And so I do wonder, and I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. Maybe it ends up going poorly the way that it did, by the way, in 2013 and in 2014 when they lost in the first round 4-2 to Chicago and then 4-2 to Minnesota. Could happen again. It's very possible. But I think some of the way that we are analyzing this team is just because it's different. It's different than what we've seen them win with before. It's a different goalie with Ville Husso in net. It's a different style of play with it being more about the scoring than it is the goal prevention with the defense. They don't have a whole lot of size. They're not as physical as they were earlier on under Craig Berube when they've had playoff success in the past. And so I'm I'm just going to be down the stretch as we watch them against the Wild and we see them going up against some of these more teams. I'm really curious to see what this looks like. And if they are able to sustain this level of play, I think we might look back and be like, you know what? We might have been a little bit too hard on that team as they were going through some of those stretches where it just didn't look good at times. I think the harshness on this team comes from the fact that the defense just hasn't been good. At even strength goals against this season, they're middle of the pack. Since the All-Star break, they're bottom 10 in the National Hockey League in terms of goals allowed at even strength, which is how you always judge that, especially when your power play and your penalty kill has been so good. But you asked the question, if Ville Husso had a better track record than what he has in terms of just 
how long he's been been in the league for, would people be feeling different about this Blues team? And I said, absolutely. And then I started to get on a tangent, and I had to save it for the air. This is why if the Colorado Avalanche are considered a Stanley Cup contender, then in my opinion, the Blues are considered a Stanley Cup contender. Because Colorado's goaltending is in the exact same position as the St. Louis Blues goaltending in terms of just you don't have a lot of expectations for because there's not a lot of track record. Darcy Kemper is one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League right now. But who was their goaltender the last couple of seasons? Who was also one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League? It was Philip Grubauer, who lost his job with the Seattle Kraken because the team in front of him is not as good. Colorado, without question, has an unreal offense. Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, and Miko Rantanen. They're going to be a hell of a, a, a struggle for teams in the playoffs. But Colorado's defense, yes, they have Kale McCarr. I get it. But Colorado's defense is liable for mistakes. Colorado does not have the depth at the forward position like the Blues do. And if, and if the biggest... If the biggest reason Colorado is a Stanley Cup contender is because, well, they have the superstars in Nathan McKinnon, well, the Blues have superstars in their top three lines for how they're performing right now at an offensive level. Then it comes down to goaltending. And from what we've seen this season, I'd give the slight edge to Ville Husso because he's playing with a team that is allowing a lot of offensive opportunities to the opposition and defensively is not the greatest. Colorado is playing like this, but they have an unprecedented offense right now. So it's just we're being harsh on this team, exactly like you said, BK, because we just haven't seen it before. I think that our texter makes a really good point. I think you guys are so hard for the blue, hard on the Blues this year because of the Western Conference and how good the conference is, less so because of what the Blues specifically are. It's a fair point, and I know it's the easy comparison to make because they're the two teams that play here, but I think it's true I think we look at the Blues a lot of uh, in a very similar way that we view the Cardinals. The Cardinals, I think, are an objectively good baseball team going into this season. And if you didn't have the Dodgers and the Mets as teams that were also competing in the National League, I think we would have much higher expectations for the Cardinals as a result. But you do have those teams that you have to look at. And those are basically the equivalent of the Avalanche and the Flames in the Western Conference. Those teams have so much star power that I think in the back of your mind as a as a Blues fan right now, you're wondering, can we shut down those offenses? And if not, can our offense really compete with those guys when they have so many superstars and the Blues just have stars? And it's the same thing with the Cardinals. Can our pitching really shut down the Dodgers or the Mets lineups, for example, or with the Mets, can our pitching live up to what their pitching is going to be this year? And I don't know what the answer to that question is on either side of things, but I think the way that I view it now and the way that I'm hoping that it ends up going for here in St. Louis is that they find a way. And when you get into a seven-game series, that's all it takes is just being able to win four out of seven. This team can do that, but I'm fascinated to see what they look like tonight against the Wild. This is going to be a big one. Last thing I'll say on this, the difference between Colorado and St. Louis is if St. Louis can find a way to eliminate the Avalanche's number one line, the advantage goes to St. Louis because they have two other lines that can hurt you. And in Colorado, they have two other players that can hurt you. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, who's done a fantastic job today, and he helped us out yesterday as well as we were out at Ballpark Village. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back on Monday at 11. Until then, enjoy the Blues games this week, and you can listen to them right here on 101 ESPN. Fastlane coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.